0: Sit back and relax. It is time to listen to the old-time radio daytime shows. We hope you enjoy the program.
1: Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invite you to let George do it. Another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice. Danger is my stock and trade. If you feel that you're one against the world and the help you need must be discreet and confidential, call on me. George Valentine. Write full details.
2: Dear Mr. Valentine, in this whole world there's only one person I care about. My 12-year-old daughter Penny. This Friday I lose her. Unless I can make her change her mind about me. You may be the one person who believes my side of the story instead of the juicy tabloid version everyone else chooses to believe. If this appeals to your, let's
3: say, chivalrous side...
4: To your, let's say, chivalrous side, I'll be home all day tomorrow. 19 Montclair Drive, Lakeside Heights. Signed, Barbara Ebersole.
1: Barbara Ebersole? What do you know? What do you know? Barbara Lawson ever saw her.
4: All right, so she has a maiden name.
1: Hey, you know, I flunked medieval history in college because of this gal.
4: You mean she wouldn't let you copy from her paper?
1: <laughs> Nothing as intimate as that, Angel. You see, she was in a musical comedy and it stayed in town for six weeks. Uh-huh. Matinees Tuesday and Thursday, 2.30. Same time as my class in medieval history. Yeah,
4: I know. You had a conflict.
1: On my history exam, they asked me who sank the Spanish Armada. And the only name I could think of was Barbara Lawson, the most beautiful girl in the world. To quote the posters.
4: And I thought you worked your way through college.
1: Yeah, except on those Tuesdays and Thursdays. Brooksy, we're gonna drop in on Barbara Eversole if just for all enzymes. <laughs> uh, pardon me, young lady. Yes? The maid showed us in. We're looking for Mrs. Eversole.
5: She's my mother. She's upstairs, but she's probably listening to see if I'm practicing my piano list.
1: Oh, so you're Penny.
5: You know something?
1: What's that, dear?
5: I could play like this.
1: <laughs> well, that's a great improvement on what we heard when we came in.
5: That's the way she liked to hear me play. But when she's in the house, I play like this.
1: <laughs> ah, you're a real nice kid
5: think so. Oh, Mr. Valentine?
1: Oh, yes, Mrs. Eversole, and this is Miss Brooks,
6: my assistant. How How do you you do, Miss
5: Brooks? Are these people here to take your pictures for the tabloids again? Penny. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I hate myself.
2: I don't know if it's any use at all, Mr. Valentine. Even if the courts let me keep Penny, I can't make her love me. What is it that's so wrong between you and Penny, Mrs. Eversole? Her father, her wonderful, irreproachable father who drove his car off the cliff a year ago. Oh, oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. Why should you be? No one else ever was. I was the lucky one to have such a charming, attentive husband. Even his own child never suspected he was mean, cruel, and deceitful. No. That irresistible boyish smile took care of everything like that. I see. The last few months before he died, I started going out every night just to get away from him. And his indifference to whether I was dead or alive. Of
4: course, everybody was saying... How can she do that to Jerry? Poor, charming Jerry. Uh Oh, you said your husband drove his car off a cliff. Somehow he doesn't sound the type. I'll never forget that night.
2: We had the most bitter quarrel we ever had, and he stormed out of the house. Yes? Penny overheard us. Ever since, she's blamed me for what happened.
1: Well, what's this about losing her on Friday?
2: When Jerry died, his mother was determined to take Penny away from me. She almost did because Penny said she wanted to leave me. But the judge decided to put me... (laughs) On a sort of parole. One misstep and I lose my child because I'm an unfit mother.
1: Uh-huh. Now I think I get it. That business about tabloids. That was the picture of you in the papers when you were brought up on a... a traffic charge.
2: You don't have to be so charitable, Mr. Valentine. They called it drunk driving. But I tell you, I was framed. Framed? I had dinner with Dan Edwards. I swear I had nothing stronger than coffee. Next thing I knew, I was alone in my car on the side of the road.
1: And there was the policeman. Oh, Who is this Dan Edwards?
2: I met him a short time ago. It was fun. We went out a few times, and then, well, this thing happened. Well, certainly, as Mr. Edwards can explain, you weren't drinking, that you were ill or something. Seems the little gentleman can't tell a lie. His version is that I had a little too much, created a scene in the parking lot at Club 44, and drove off without him.
1: And you want me to prove it was a frame, is that right?
2: I don't know how you're going to do it, but you must. Before Friday, Penny's all I got. I can't lose her. She'd go on thinking of me as a... Oh, Mr. Valentine. Oh, now, Mrs.
1: Ebersole, do Two days isn't an awful lot of time, Mrs. Ebersole, but I'll do my best.
4: I won't be hypocritical, Mr. Valentine, Miss Brooks. I'm glad this thing happened to Barbara.
1: Mrs. Eversole, isn't that a pretty harsh thing to say about your daughter-in-law?
4: I told Jerry you should never have married a girl like that. Now, Mother. Barbara was Jerry's wife. And you're his brother, Leonard. You should be glad we're getting Penny away from this woman on Friday. Oh, we've heard so much about your son, Jerry. Yes. When Jerry walked into a room, the other men there stopped existing. You could tell that
0: just by looking into the eyes of every woman. Yet he was kind and gentle.
4: And when he smiled... Yes, we've heard all about that smile. I
1: can understand your skepticism, Miss Brooks, but Mother's quite right. My younger brother was admittedly perfect. Mrs. Eversol, I just dropped in to tell you I'm playing on Barbara's team. Young man, you're wasting your time. There's no other
4: explanation for what happened to Barbara that night. Except the obvious one you'll find on the police blotter.
1: I'm afraid, Mr. Valentine, my sister-in-law hired you to make her story sound a little more plausible. Could be.
2: I'm going to have that child if it's the last thing I do. And I'm going
1: to see that Barbara gets an even break if it's the last thing I do. Come on, Booksy.
2: Yes, George. Hey,
1: look, Brooksy. How would you like to go to Club 44 tonight? I can recommend the food. And the music's not too bad.
7: Oh, I'd love it, darling. What time will you pick me up?
1: You're going to be there alone. Alone? Well, not exactly. If I've got the right slant on this thing, you'll be with Dan Edwards most of the evening. Dan Edwards? Uh-huh. I'll be waiting at Barbara's for your call. Well,
4: what am I supposed to do?
1: Mostly be your beautiful self, Brooksy. But to be more specific, here's the
3: deal.
4: Mr. Edwards. I'm just dreadful. I mean, being here alone in a nightclub in a big city with a strange man.
1: Not a strange man, Claire. Just a lonely man. Oh, oh. When Edwanda, the head waiter told me that you were here all alone. I I couldn't resist coming over to your table and introducing myself.
4: And I wouldn't have it any different, Mr. Edwards. It's it's Dan. Yes, Dan. Yes. Oh, I wonder what Daddy would say if he could see me now. Daddy? He's always saying, play our honey. People with our position and money have to be mighty careful whom they meet.
1: Oh, and he's so right.
4: Would you believe it? I slipped out of the hotel after Daddy and Mother went to bed. Aren't I just
1: awful? <laughs> Let's compromise and say you're the sweetest thing that ever walked into my life.
4: Oh, Damn you. And I'm going
1: to find out a lot about you. What your daddy does, that great big house you must live in.
4: Yes, damn. And I'm going to find out a lot about you, too. Not
1: just practicing tonight, eh, Penny?
5: Oh, Mr. Valentine. Anyway, she can't hear me. She's in her room. And the door's closed. Uh...
1: Penny, you love to play the piano, don't you?
5: Yes, when I'm alone.
1: Well, tell me something, Pie Face. Who started you taking piano lessons?
5: She did. And made me practice every day whether I wanted to or not.
1: Now you love to play, but not when she can hear it. Now that's kind of cockeyed, isn't it, kid?
5: Well, I... I don't have to talk to you. I'm going up to bed. Where's my book?
1: Hmm? Oh, that's it?
5: Yes, let me have it.
1: Yearbook, Denfield College, 1933.
5: Yes, my father's picture is in there. I'll show you what they say about him. Here, doesn't he have a wonderful smile?
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Listen. Ebersol, Jerry, most popular man on the campus. Captain, water polo team, most likely to succeed.
1: Yeah, that's all right.
5: None of the others had things like that written about him. Look at the very next one under father's picture.
1: Eggleston, Frank. Campus Clown. Little
5: Eggie. <laughs> See what I mean? Eggy the Clown. Oh, <laughs> well, it's good to hear you laugh, dear. Oh. I was just going up to bed. Penny, wait. I... Good night.
2: Never mind. Did you find out anything, Mr. Valentine?
6: No, no, but
1: I did want to know a little more about this Stan Edwards.
2: Well, he introduced himself and said he was a friend of Jerry's at Denfeld College. Yeah? He told me about the time just before he and Jerry were supposed to graduate. Jerry stole the clapper out of the chapel bell. Oh. Leonard had to square things with the dean and make sure his mother never found out. I see. Mr. Valentine, there was nothing wrong with my going out with Dan. For a year, I kept myself cooped up in this house trying to be the perfect mother. Always remembering Judge Blanchard saying, one misstep, Mrs. Ebersole, and Penny goes to a grandmother.
1: And having dinner with Dan once in a while sort of helped take the pressure off
2: huh? That's right. I can't think of any reason Dan would lie about what happened that night. But what did you find
3: out about him?
1: Not much, Mrs. Ebersole, not much. But I have an idea that even at this distance, I'm learning more and more about Dan Edwards every minute. <laughs> Well, tell me, Claire, what would it take to impress your, um, daddy?
4: Well, like I keep saying, Daniel, he judges everybody by the substantial people they know.
1: Well, I know some pretty important people in this town. You do? Yes. I advise them on their investments, help them spend their money. Here. Just look at this check.
4: Oh, my goodness. Five thousand dollars. Agnes Ebersole. Oh, I'm afraid the name wouldn't mean anything to daddy.
1: Oh, Mrs. Ebersole. A family stands for just about everything in this town.
4: I didn't know you were so clever, Daniel. Oh, dear. Hmm? I've made up my mind. I'm going to call the hotel and tell Daddy I'm right here at Club 44 with a very respectable gentleman. He'll be proud to meet. You. Oh, thank you. you stay where you are, honey. I'll be right back. <laughs>
1: I got here as soon as I could, Brooksy. Edwards inside? Yes, Daddy.
4: And I just bet Mr. Dan has got awful fidgety in there. All right, all right. Are you sure <laughs> about that check? Yeah, I saw the signature. Agnes
1: Ebersole. Oh, good. That's a break I didn't even hope for. Now go on back inside. Well,
4: what are you going to do, George?
1: Oh, that's the surprise, Angel. The question is, who is it going to surprise most? Dan Edwards, Mrs. Eversole, or Barbara? <laughs> We'll return to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about an extra service. When you're on your vacation trip, you don't expect to find everything just as convenient as it is at home. But when you stop at independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations, you can be sure all along your trip of restrooms that are spick and span. Folks have said that one of the things that makes a long trip more pleasant is knowing there are clean and tidy restrooms along the way. That's why these restrooms are cleaned thoroughly every day, inspected often, and well supplied with soap and towels. The men who offer you this service never want you to feel obliged to buy something when you stop. Just drop in anytime at standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations where they say and mean, we'll take better care of your car. And now back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. Under what circumstances would you say a mother deserves to lose custody of her child? Well, Barbara Ebersole, ex-chorus girl, is almost certain to be declared an unfit mother, unless George proves that Barbara's recent front-page escapade was a frame-up. At Club 44 now, George makes his way toward the table where Claire is sitting with Dan Edwards, the man who seems to be the key to the whole problem. Hello, beautiful.
4: I beg your pardon.
1: Oh, now don't say you don't know me just because it happens to be true. Now, wait a minute, friend. Friend? Okay, oh, prove it. Introduce me to the lady.
4: Just you pay him no heed, Daniel, honey. uh uh-huh.
1: A bell from Brooklyn. Mind if I sit down? Look, we don't know you, mister. Now, on your way. Please,
4: Daniel, not here. What would Daddy say if he found out I was involved in a fuss? Why,
1: the lady's absolutely right, sir. But I'll be glad to give you a satisfaction out in the alley. Okay, smart guy. Come on.
3: Don't you hurt him too much now, Daniel.
1: Don't you think you'd better give me the name of your nearest kin so I can notify him? (laughs) Okay, brother, how do we begin? You want to knock the chip off my shoulder or do I just poke you in the nose? Stop the kid stuff. I've got a proposition to make. Now, what are you talking about? I'm working up a business deal with a young lady in there. I've I've got to impress her. Now, what do you say you take this ten bucks and have yourself a time somewhere else? The whole thing. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, come on, boy. Let's play rough. You're a big husky lad. Let's see if you can take care of yourself. Okay, I gave you your chance. Oh, what an opening. Hey, what do I have to do to make you sit
3: down?
1: I'll teach you to... I have to go around waving checks in front of you, ladies. Now, where is it? Here we are. $5,000. Mrs. Agnes Ebersole. Paid a Dan Edwards. Well... I wonder how she's going to explain this little payment. Yeah, hello?
4: George, what happened to you? I've been calling your apartment for an hour.
1: I know, Angel. Just came in. I went out to see old Mrs. Ebersole.
4: Oh, then you got the check. What did
1: she say? Nothing, because she wouldn't see me. Oh. But maybe it's just as well. She can explain it to the judge tomorrow. So see you in the office nice and early. Oh, and Brooksy. Yeah? Just wanted to say you did a smooth job with Edwards. Thanks.
4: Oh, it won't
1: nothing, honey. Good night, chicken Not as smooth as you thought, Valentine. Uh, What? How'd you get in my room, Edwards? I've been waiting for you to show up. Oh, maybe I underrated you, boy. You're quite a grim character when you're holding a gun. I could just ask you to hand over that check, but I'm going to do it the hard way, too. How's this for a star? (laughs)
4: Nice and early in the office this morning, and I. George!
1: Now, no comments on my appearance, Brooksy. Let's just say I overslept with somebody's help. But... The my... important thing is I don't have that check anymore. Huh? Hey, wait a minute. Hello, Valentine. Yeah, Barbara. What's that? Oh, when'd you miss her? Oh, look, getting hysterical isn't going to help. Penny? Just a minute, Brooksy. Yeah, I have an idea where to find her. So stay where you are. I'll get in touch with you. <laughs>
4: away? I won't go back to her, never. I'll see to that, Penny, dear.
1: This is something you have nothing to say about Mrs. Everson. Can't you see, Valentine, it's better this way. You can call Barbara and tell her to meet us at Judge Blanchard's this afternoon.
7: It's a foregone conclusion he's going to award Penny to us anyway, Leonard. I hate her, I hate her.
1: I thought this might be the kind of stunt you'd pull, Penny. Now, here, look at me. I mean, in the eye. You know, if you came to the judge with your grandmother, your mother wouldn't stand a chance of keeping you. Now, didn't you?
5: What about it?
1: Just this. You're coming home with me. Grandma! Take your hands off her, Valentine. Young man, you're not the police, you know. And it's a good thing, Mrs. Eversole. You could be charged with abduction, trying to keep Penny here. And another thing. What have you got to say about a $5,000 check you gave Dan Edwards?
4: What? I never issued any such check.
1: Oh, I see we're going to have to play this right out to the end. Come on, Penny. No, no, no. Don't give me any trouble, pie face. Because I got a lot of things to do between now and two o'clock. Dean Bronson, young Jerry Eversole was quite a big man here at Denfield College, wasn't he? Well, Mister Valentine, he had one of those rare personalities that ingratiated him to everyone he met. Yeah, I know that charming smile. That's right. Um. Uh, Wouldn't you say that the way he died, I mean suicide, was way out of character? Well, since you say this information is important to his wife, uh, the whole Ebersole family... You can take my word for that, Dean. I guess it's my duty to tell you there was a regrettable weak streak in Jerry's character. Oh, what do you mean? He forged quite a sizable check against the student body funds in his junior year. Uh Of course, his mother made good, and, well, we hushed it up. You know, the family endowed the Ebersole Library here at Dinsfield. Yeah, thank you, Dean Bronson. You've been a great help. Mm -hmm. A great help. (laughs) Mr. Dunlap, Jerry Ebersole was working for your brokerage firm when he committed suicide, wasn't he? Why, yes. He was one of our best contact men, Mr. Valentine. He made that Ebersole personality go a long way. Well, I've heard enough about that. Let me ask you a simple, direct question. Yes? How much did Jerry Ebersole steal from your firm? What what, what are you saying? I, I don't understand. There are two big reasons people commit suicide. One's love, the other's money. Everybody loved Ebersole, the personality boy. Now, how much money did he steal from you? I... I don't know how you ever found this out, Mr. Valentine. His mother made good. Oh, Grandma to the rescue. We never prosecuted, and I do hope there won't be any publicity
8: at this late date. The firm of Dunlap and it is is very conservative. How much
1: was it? A shortage of $20,000 in his accounts. I see. I've always thought poor Jerry began to loathe himself so much he just couldn't go on anymore. That was the real reason for his suicide. You're a good psychologist, Mr. Dunlap. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Brooksie, I've made up my mind. I'm going to tell both Barbara and the kid the truth about Eversol. Where are they?
4: Upstairs, getting ready to leave for Judge Blanchard.
1: Oh, that's right. We don't have much time.
4: George, we usually see eye to eye about things. But I think you're wrong this time. Penny's a sensitive, unpredictable child. You don't know what a thing like this might do to her.
1: Well, it it may just jar her enough to realize what she owes her mother.
4: Or it may have the very opposite effect.
1: All right, so it's taking a chance. okay. But look, Brooksy, Peggy is young, with a whole life ahead of her to get over any kind of shock. What does Barbara have left if they take a daughter away from her? Well... Oh, no, Brooksy. I'm going to tell them both what the score is before we meet the judge. And I'll need your help, just the way we worked it out. Barbara? We still have a few minutes, and the courthouse is only across the street. Yes? Well, there's something I must tell you.
2: What's that, Mr. Valentine?
1: Suppose we go into this little park and sit down.
2: Penny wouldn't even walk down here with you. She insisted on walking with Miss Brooks a half a block behind us. What chance do I have?
9: Let's wait and see, huh?
2: Those chimes from the tower, they're they're beautiful, aren't they? Yes. What did you want to say, Mr. Valentine? I'd like to see the judge and get this over with.
1: Please, Barbara.
2: Those chimes. They make me feel like praying. It's been such a long time since I've prayed. There's only one thing
1: I want, and... What I've got to say can wait, Barbara, Why don't we both just sit here and listen to the chimes for a while?
2: Dear Lord, if I can't have Penny, let her be happy wherever she is. And and if the only thing that will really make her happy is to forget that I was ever her mother, let it be that way, too. Amen.
1: Barbara... This is what I wanted to tell you. I found out today why Jerry killed himself. What? He stole twenty thousand dollars from Dunlap and Garrett. Oh no! That's the truth. And his mother covered for him, just as she did every other time he got into trouble.
5: I don't believe it. You're lying, both of you. Penny, what's she doing here? I didn't know she. Could... I'll never believe that about my father. Never, please, Penny. Wait, wait. Oh, Mr. Valentine.
1: I'm sorry. I thought if Claire brought Penny here. Well, whatever slight chance I had is gone.
2: But it doesn't matter. Judge Blanchard's already made up his mind. Let's go and get the formalities over with.
10: Penny, come here, dear.
3: Yes,
5: Judge Blanchard?
1: The uh, last time we were together about a year ago, I had to make the decision about you and your mother. Now it's up to you.
5: I... I know.
1: Don't be
0: frightened, Penny. Tell the judge how you feel.
3: Yes, Grandma.
1: There's something I'd like to say, Judge Blanche. Please, Mr. Valentine, what else is there to say? You can see the nervous state of this child. it will be a crime to let her stay with her mother.
3: Let
2: Penny go on, Mr. Valentine.
1: Okay, but I'm not through.
2: Take it easy, darling.
1: Penny, you're a sensible little girl. And you're old enough to know whom you'd like to live with. Well...
11: Well,
5: I... I...
0: Don't be afraid to talk to the judge, Penny.
5: I... I would like to... Go on. I want to go home and live with my mother. Oh, mother, mother. Penny.
2: Oh, my is... baby. I...
5: I heard what you said when you were over there in the park. That, that it would be better if I forgot all about you. It would make me happy. Oh, now, hush, darling.
11: That doesn't matter now.
5: I kept thinking about it, and somehow I know what Mr. Valentine said about father is true. Oh, Mother. Mother.
2: It's been a whole year since
0: you called me that. Judge Blanchard, I don't know what came over, Penny. But certainly we can't forgive this woman's scandalous behavior.
5: Don't you dare talk about my mother that way. Penny, Penny what are you saying? Couldn't we go home now? Together, Mommy?
1: Judge? I think you can decide the way your heart's telling you to, Judge Blanchard. And if we can have a few minutes alone, I think we'll even be able to satisfy the law. Yes, Judge Blanchard. Leonard hired Dan Edwards to have Barbara conveniently drugged that night. But what would be Leonard Ebersole's reason for doing anything like that? Well, the old girl was prepared to leave her entire fortune to Penny. if She could get her legal custody. Leonard wanted to be in the position to administer the estate. After all, Penny doesn't come of age for nine years. But what about this check to Dan Edwards who said it was signed by Mrs. Ebersole? Some fancy blackmail, Judge. When Edwards was through with Leonard, he started on his mother. The Ebersole. Hard to believe.
4: George, how did you suspect Leonard?
1: Edwards never graduated from Denfield with Jerry. In the college yearbook, it was Eversole and then Eggleston. No Edwards.
4: Then who could have told Edwards about that little escapade Jerry had in his senior year? The one with the chapel bell.
1: Well, that was all hushed up, see, The mother never knew about it. It had to be Leonard. Pretty good work, Valentine. You know, when I was district attorney, I would have a job for you. Oh. Well, thanks.
4: George may be able to return the compliment and have a job for you someday soon, Judge. I hope.
1: Beg your pardon?
4: Huh? Oh, of course, we could go to a church. Oh,
1: no. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. I'll be more than glad to say the all important words, Miss Brooks. Oh, wait a minute. Now who's getting framed? Come on, Brooksy. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet there's not one car owner in a thousand who could lubricate his car thoroughly. For there are more than 20 vital wear points on the average car, and if most of us tried to find them, it would be pure guesswork. Even the expert lube men at independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations don't rely on experience alone when they grease your car. Instead, they follow a precise lubrication chart recommended by the manufacturer of your car. And they use RPM greases and oils, each one tailor-made to protect those key wear points. Tailor-made, too, to smooth out shocks and give you easier riding. So for low-cost maintenance and better riding, get a lube job with RPM oils and greases every 1,000 miles at a standard station or an independent Chevron gas station where they say and mean, we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear...
7: George,
4: the door isn't locked.
1: Yeah, wait a minute, Angel. Put the light on.
4: <gasps> George!
1: Well, they couldn't have done a better job in this room if they used a bulldozer.
4: Mr. Karowski! Mr. Yeah, Karowski! Hey, don't
1: be naive, Brooksy. They didn't make rubble out of this place just for exercise. Yeah, they gave Karowski this little party and took the guest of honor away with him.
4: George! Oh, come here, look.
1: Oh, yeah. Blood. They couldn't wait, could they?
4: Oh, but he's such a... such a little man.
1: We're up against a racket that thrives on little people, Brooksy. And we're going to keep at it until we find out what it is. Adventure of George Valentine has been brought to you by Standard of California on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and Standard stations throughout the West. Let George Do It stars Robert Bailey as George with Francis Robinson as Claire. Tonight's story was written by David Victor and Herbert Little Jr. and directed by Don Clark. Also heard in the cast were Virginia Gregg as Barbara, Don Bender as Penny, Noreen Camille as Mrs. Eversole, Stan Waxman as Leonard. Jay Novello as Edwards, and Herb Butterfield as Judge Blanchard. The music is composed and conducted by Eddie Dunstetter, your announcer, John Heaston. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to Let George Do It. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. Today, let's listen in on a couple of young housewives talking over the back fence.
0: Say, that's a mighty white washer hanging out. You using one of those new suds I've been hearing about? Something even better. I'm using
4: deep cleaning oxidol.
1: Yes, ladies, deep cleaning oxidol's got folks talking all over the country. For deep cleaning oxidol washes off the gray dirt left in clothes by the leading wash day suds, the leading shortcut suds. Now, here's someone who saw this proved in an amazing demonstration. She's Mrs. Donald Smith of Elmwood, Ohio, and I'd like you to hear in her own words just what she saw at this demonstration. Listen to what Mrs. Smith says.
0: In this washing demonstration, they used my clean clothes. Well, at least I thought they were clean, because I had just washed them with the leading suds, just as the manufacturer said to. Then they washed those clothes over again, this time with deep-cleaning Oxidol. You should have seen the dirty wash water come out of those clothes I thought were clean. That dirty wash water showed me. Oxidol really can get out the gray dirt left in clothes by those leading shortcut suds.
1: Thanks, Mrs. Smith. And ladies, next wash day, use deep-cleaning oxidol and see how much dirt oxidol can get out of your clothes. And most important of all, when you use deep-cleaning oxidol, clothes look white and bright. They feel soft and fluffy. Smell sweet, too. Yes, clothes look clean, feel clean, smell clean, because they are clean with deep-cleaning Oxidol. Yet, Oxidol is truly safe. Deep-clean clothes stay brighter, new-looking longer. So to get clothes deep-clean, sparkling Clean, use deep-cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep-cleaning. 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 Ask your dealer for Oxidol today.
13: And now, for Ma Perkins.
8: Well,
1: for weeks we've followed the continual plotting of the cousins against Ma. The cousins have forced Shuffle and Willie to quit at the lumberyard. Now, Cousin Sylvester is trying to make Faye fall in love with him, and at the same time, he and his daddy, Cousin Ed, are trying to cheat Willie and Evie out of their life savings. And
13: Ma never dreams that all her troubles come from these kinfolks of hers. In
1: fact, yesterday, Ma thanked Sylvester for... But let's hear for ourselves. Well, it's about five o'clock in the late afternoon now, and Sylvester and his daddy are walking down the street together. But... Jumping catfish, on son, Sylvester. You
9: went
14: and told Cousin Ma Perkins how we're trying to take Willie and Evie's money away? You gone took leave of your senses, You crazy ignoramus? Now, hold on to your buttons, Potsy. Your your
1: trouble is you always think the other party's stupid, when as a matter of fact, the other party's not stupid. Not when it's somebody like Cousin Ma Perkins. She's a very smart old
14: girl. The one who I'm saying is stupid is you. Huh? Because you went and told Cousin Ma Perkins about our stock deal for taking Evie's and Willie's money. Will you kindly
1: inform me what's
15: smart about
1: that? Well, I'll tell you, if you'll listen. In the, in, in the first place, Cousin Ma already had heard about it. I suppose from Willie. She, she heard, heard about it? Was jumping
14: catfish, and why didn't you deny it? Call it a pack of lies. We don't want Cousin Ma getting wind of what we're doing. Now, now. will you kindly stop yelling and listen? I'm listening.
1: The big idea is to keep Cousin Ma on our side. So I go up to Cousin Ma and I say, Evie and Willie want to do something foolish. They're forcing their money on me to invest in this company. Oh, they shouldn't do that, Cousin Ma, I say. And Popsy, you should have seen the old girl. My goodness, says Cousin Ma. Can you stop them from being so foolish, Cousin Sylvester? Don't you see, Potsy? Already she's on our side. Uh, uh, Now, go ahead, son. I'm reserving my judgment. So I tell Cousin Ma I'll do my best. My very best to prevent Evie and Willie from gambling with their hard-earned life savings. And Cousin Ma kind of... She kind of pats me on the sleeve and she says, Cousin Sylvester, you're a good boy. Okay. So you got more Perkins on our side. (laughs) But now the question is... How do we get the money away from Evie and Willie? Why, as soon as I talk to them. Don't you get it, Popsy? The the minute I go to Evie and I say, your ma don't want you to go in on this investment, why, that silly dame, Evie, you'll hit the roof. She'll practically knock me down, forcing that money on me. That's your trouble, Popsy. You don't understand these things. If I make the deal tough enough for Evie, she'll die until she makes this letter in. Ah. <laughs> oh, and one other thing. One other thing was accomplished by my little conference with cousin Ma. I not only got Ma on my side in this one certain matter, but I also got Ma on my side in a certain other little matter. If Ma thinks I'm such a wonderful type, she'll she'll be on my side when it comes to Fay. And she'll tell Fay. Because Potsy, we ain't only playing for Evie's and Willie's seventeen hundred bucks. We're also playing for little Fay's 50,000 bucks.
9: Yeah, now that part I can understand. <laughs> and
1: that part I like.
9: <laughs> yeah, Ma, telling Faye helps you get a hold of the little old Cousin Faye and her
1: money. <laughs>
9: yeah, that part I like, son. You sister. betcha, Patsy. <laughs> of
1: course, I'm in so solid with Cousin Faye right now that nothing could ever get me out. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. And look who's this up ahead of us, Patsy. Cousin Willie. Sure enough, That's cousin Willie. <laughs> yeah, he must have come out of the barber shop. Something catfish. Him, the way he walks, he ain't happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, what a sad fat he's turned into. <laughs> come on, Patsy, let's add to his troubles. Let's uh, uh let's stir him up a little. Uh-uh. You stir him up? <laughs> uh-uh. You what? Hey, cousin Willie, not
8: so fast. Huh?
1: Oh. Uh, hi, Cousin Philvester. Hi, Cousin Ed. Ah, hello, uh, Cousin Willie. <laughs> hey,
8: been to the
14: barber shop? Uh, getting yourself a shave?
8: No, I shaved myself this morning. Yeah, I've been to the barber shop. Well, they sure didn't take much off your neck, Cousin Willie. <laughs>
1: oh, one of those once over lightly haircuts, eh?
8: No, I didn't get a haircut neither. They, they took the Fort William papers in the barber shop, and so I was just sitting there. Reading the papers.
9: Oh, that's nice, Cousin
8: Willie.
9: It always helps
16: for a young fella to keep up with the world.
8: Yeah, I guess so. I happen to be reading the Help Wanted ads. Well, how's everything down at the lumberyard, fellas? Stuff going along good? Oh, stuff's going along great, Cousin Willie, great. Now, let's walk along together, because there's something I want to talk to you about, Cousin Willie. I sure wish you'd speak to your wife. Hmm? Speak to my wife? You mean Evie? <laughs> You ain't a married man, Cousin Sylvester, so you don't understand how sometimes it's a pleasure not to speak to your wife.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, it's rich. <laughs> yeah, what a
17: comical and humorous feller he is, son, this Cousin <laughs> Willie.
14: <laughs>
17: Out of a job, but does he worry? No, sir. <laughs> Cracking jokes every minute.
1: <laughs> I certainly wish you'd speak to Cousin Evie about this one thing, Cousin Willie, because it, it was very embarrassing. Huh? He keeps on trying to give me this money. See, you know, for this mining stock I told you about, my my friend's company out west.
8: Oh, don't worry about that, cousin Sylvester. That money happens to be in the bank in my name, not hers. We ain't investing in no mining stock.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to hear it, cousin Willie, because it well just this very afternoon cousin Ma spoke to me about it. Cousin Ma got hold of me and she said, cousin Sylvester, don't you let ever your Willie throw their money around. Uh, ever since Willie stopped working for me where I can keep an eye on him, uh, this is Cousin Ma Perkins speaking. She says, now that Cousin Willie is not around the Perkins Lumber Yard, where I can
8: keep an eye on him, he's liable to do something foolish. So I told her that I wouldn't let you do nothing foolish, Cousin Willie. Ma, Ma said that? That, that I'm foolish?
1: I sure did, Cousin Willie. Ma wouldn't like it if we
18: repeated what she called you, but I was right there. I heard it.
8: Ma said I'm foolish? Listen, if I want to invest, I'll invest. If I don't want to,
1: I won't. I don't need people running my
8: affairs for me.
1: But you know how good old Ma Perkins takes an interest in you, Willie. She's an old lady. And she figures you're some kind
18: of a... Oh, you know what I mean. Not foolish, exactly. I'm
8: perfectly able to run my own affairs. Just because I happen to be out of a job temporarily, that doesn't mean that... Listen, Cousin Sylvester... Did you say that that stock's already gone from two cents a share to a dollar a share? That's what my
1: friend tells me, Willie.
8: And your friend thinks it's going to go to two dollars a share?
14: Cousin oh, Willie, this here's confidential information. You don't want to float around.
1: My friend thinks it's going to go up even higher, Willie, but you must remember, pal, it's a gamble.
8: Boy, how I'd like to show some people. They think that just because I'm having a little trouble getting a job that I can't run my own affairs. Huh. Listen, Cousin Sylvester, you... You come on over to the house tonight after supper, and we'll we'll talk about this some more. Oh, I got a date with Cousin Fay tonight, Cousin Willie, and
1: well, really, after Cousin Ma said I shouldn't let you go I well, happen I... to be
8: over twenty-one years old. For heaven's sake, do people think I'm stupid or something? If I don't want to invest, I'll I'll invest. Listen, uh, are you sure that Ma said uh, I'm foolish? That I'm foolish? Me? Yes, Willie. Yes, yes Willie. Okay. Thanks, fellas.
1: Thanks for telling me. And now our scene changes. Of course, Ma said no such thing. In fact, as we join Ma now up at the house, she's telling Fay what she did say to Sylvester and what Sylvester said to her. Ma and Faye are in the kitchen and, well,
0: well, that was very nice of Sylvester, wasn't it, Ma? Mm, yes, I thought so, face. After he told me about it, he said he simply wouldn't dream of letting Evie and Willie take a chance with their little nest egg. <laughs> Anyhow, it ain't like Evie and Willie was children or foolish or nothing like that. They're both responsible people.
19: <laughs>
0: Evie's been known to be not quite that responsible, Ma. But basically, yes, they're careful and responsible. But I think it's so wonderful of Sylvester. Isn't it queer, Ma? As time goes on, Sylvester just seems to have all the virtues. He's so lovely to Paulette and to you and me. Now he's being so nice to Willie and Eddie. I'm awfully pleased with him. That's nice, dear. Uh, and, uh, you're going someplace together tonight, he told me. Guess we are. We're going to a square dance. It's hard to believe, Ma, but... in the last couple of months, I've seen no one else. You know that? I guess there's just no doubt about it. Sylvester sort of grows on you. Or anyway, on me. Oh, here, Ma, I'll make the salad. Now, you stop smiling at me.
1: Telephones are buzzing, presses are roaring, and the airways are humming with today's great news about deep-cleaning Oxidol. News that means a sparkling clean wash for you. You can see how clean and white deep-cleaning Oxidol washes your clothes. You can feel how soft and fluffy your clothes are. You can even smell how clean they are after Oxidol. Yes, clothes look clean, feel clean, smell clean, because they are clean with deep-cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol reaches deep down into fibers for grimy dirt, loosens dirt, and floats it away. Go for a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean. Get deep cleaning Oxidol at your dealers now in the same familiar Oxidol package. And so they see Sylvester almost every night. But day and night, the cousin's plots and schemes never cease. What's going to happen? Well, Willie decides to teach Ma a lesson. And Sylvester wins again. Tomorrow. But now this is Charlie Warren inviting you to listen again tomorrow to Oxidall's own Ma Perkins. Same time, same station. For a wash that's deep clean, sparkling clean, use deep cleaning Oxidol. Oxidol is deep cleaning, deep cleaning,
12: deep cleaning.
20: It's the Martin and Lewis Show!
15: The National Broadcasting
1: Company brings you transcribed from Hollywood, The Martin Lewis Show. Our guest tonight, Burt Lancaster, featuring Flo McMichael, Sheldon Leonard, Ben Alexander, Dick Stabile and his orchestra, and
15: starring Dean Martin.
10: When they begin, the begin, it brings back a night. Ubergal splendor.
1: And Jerry Lewis.
21: When they begin I begin. When they begin I begin. Oh, yes, I can begin. Oh, when they begin. <laughs> oh, yes, sir. They...
22: Oh, I
15: can't begin it, but I sure finished it. Well, folks,
1: here it is, the beginning of another month. And as we look in on Dean and Jerry's apartment, we find them wading through the first-of-the-month bills, trying to figure out how to pay them all.
20: Jerry, I don't mind telling you I'm worried. We've got so many bills to pay, it'll take all the money we got saved up in the bank.
1: Don't worry,
21: Dean. I've heard about people putting a little away in a sugar bowl each week, and that's what I've been doing.
20: Well, Jerry, that's great. How much you got saved?
21: 283 lumps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on,
20: Jerry. This is serious. Just look at this mail we got Bills, 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 bills All we got are bills
21: All right, we got bills But don't forget Bill's probably getting ours
3: <laughs> Bill's probably
21: getting ours <laughs>
17: Bill's probably getting ours Oh, I hate myself <laughs>
20: Now look, Jerry Never mind about the bills That bills bills to bill Let's worry about the bills That are bill to us
21: All righty. Now try Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled pepper.
20: But, Jay, just look at all these bills. Grocer, butcher, landlord, gardener. Gardener. Now, wait a minute. We live in an apartment. We don't have a gardener.
21: Oh, that bill is okay, Dean.
20: What do you mean it's okay? It's a bill for pruning, cutting, mowing, and trimming ragged edges. Seven dollars.
21: I'm sorry, Dean. I thought it would be cheaper than going to a barber.
20: Jerry, you don't seem to realize that we haven't even got enough money to pay the rent. We could be evicted. We just have to make some extra money somewhere. And Hey, you say you want to make some extra money? Well, I'm just the guy
14: who can fix you up.
20: Ah, oh, Sophie, now wait a minute. You're our next-door neighbor. Have you been standing with your ear
1: pressed up against the wall? I never press my ear against your walls. Why should I when I got that nice, neat hole drilled in the baseboard? LAUGHTER Oh, that's wonderful. I suppose you've tried the view through our keyhole? I have never looked through your keyhole. It's against my principles. You fellas got a Yale lock, and as you can see, I'm a Harvard man. (laughs) (laughs) Now, look, Sophie, I wish you'd stop listening to our private conversation. Well, pal, I can help you. You know, you boys need money, and I know where you can pick up a couple of hundred bucks just like that. Well, I don't know. Your schemes always sound phony to me. Phony, he says. Why, there's nothing phony about this. There's a friend of mine He just brought a circus into town A
21: circus? Mm-hmm. i love to go to the circus Boy, those circuses And, and they have peanuts And pink lemonade Oh, those circuses They have hot dogs Soda pop and Cokes And hamburgers And cotton candy Molasses, apples More hot dogs More peanuts More cotton candy And, and Dean What? Burp me <laughs>
20: Ah, Jerry, we couldn't work for a circus. We don't know anything about
10: it.
21: Sure we could, Dean. There's lots of things we could do. Maybe I could be the master of ceremonies. Hey, how about it, Soapy? Um, uh, no. What do you suggest?
10: Uh,
1: let me see you wiggle your hips. <laughs> oh, don't be silly, Soapy.
20: <laughs> Jerry couldn't be a hoochie-coochie dancer.
21: Wait a minute, Dean Martin. I'll have you know my hoochie is just as coochie as anyone. <laughs>
14: you know, tell me what, I, um...
1: Uh... Just so happens I have a slight acquaintance with a little troop of lifters, and uh, maybe I could get you a job there. Lifters? Yeah. Oh, boy, that's for me. Just a second, kid. Take it easy. People's wallets ain't gonna be that heavy.
3: <laughs>
21: wallets? Now, wait a minute, Sophie. Are you suggesting that I become a park bigot? A...
3: <laughs>
21: <laughs> you suggesting I become a big poket? A, I mean, a pick pigot? A poke it! Hey,
1: uh, kid, have, uh, have you ever tried Peter Piper picked the sack of pickle peepers?
3: <laughs> well, look,
1: boys, you think it over, and if you decide you want to come along with me and wait for the circus, strictly on the up and up, you understand, I will be waiting for you downstairs. Well, I don't know about this.
14: Well,
21: we'll do it, Sophie. You, you leave
20: things to me.
1: Okay, I'll see you at the circus. Jerry,
20: did you tell Sophie we'd take him up on his offer?
21: Sure, Dean Gee whiz, we need the money You said so yourself I know Well, can you suggest any other way We can make some money that quick? No Okay, then Gee, Dean The circus really appeals to me I love anything that's full of crazy people
1: Circus is full of crazy people?
21: Sure Didn't you ever hear of acrobats? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Don't
21: don't, don't you get it, Dean? No, I don't get it Well, I'll explain it to you The acros are bats It seems like a joke Acro is for the acrobats But the bats the end of the word part Is like crazy People say nuts, bats, all those And it's crazy, it's like a big joke And everybody laughs at a joke like this And oh, I wish I was dead <laughs> And I'm so
3: blue, sing to me Sing to me I'll
10: be down to get you in a taxi, honey Well, you better be ready around a half past six Baby, don't you be late I want to be there When the band starts, honey Just remember when we get there, honey Two steps, one, half have them all Dance of both of my shoes When we play the jelly roll blue. Come out at night at a dark time Strut ball I'll be down, to get you in a taxi, honey Well, you're very Around a half past eight now, baby, but well, don't you be late. I want to be there when the band starts, honey. Well, just remember when we get there, honey. Two steps, when I have them all? Dance off both of shoes. Well, when they play the Tally Road Blue. Tomorrow night at the Dark Town Stutters Bar.
21: Paladine, you got me all cheered up again. I feel good.
20: Well, good, but the fact remains, Jerry, we still need money to pay our bills. I guess we'll have to go down to the circuit and see what Soapy can do for us.
21: I knew you'd see it my way. You're a real Pauline.
20: Well, come in. Who is it?
21: It's me. Oh, it's Florence, our secretary. Hiya, Florence. Hello. Florence, guess what? Maybe Dean and
23: I will go to work for a circus. Oh, really? Oh, Mr. Martin, you'll be wonderful in a circus. I can just see you standing there in a leopard skin with hundreds of women admiring your wonderful physique. What about me?
21: What do you think I could do, Florence? da 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 You too, huh, Florence? Say, maybe I could be the dancer. I'm lovely. I'm engaged. I use Chiron tablet.
16: You really like the circus, huh, Florence?
23: Oh, yeah. That's where I met my dream man, Charlie. Charlie. He used to hang by his teeth from a trapeze 300 feet in the air. And in 15 years, Charlie's teeth never let go. Really? No. Of course, Charlie fell four times. <laughs> you know, right after that, he became a barker for a flea circus.
21: Oh, that's nothing. I used to know a barker who was a flea circus. <laughs> <laughs> barker who was a flea circus. <laughs> Dean. <What>? Scratch me.
3: <laughs>
20: Be glad to. What race you're running in? <laughs>
23: To take that job with the circus maybe you can work your way up and finally get a job with a real big circus you know Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Belly <laughs>
21: Barnum and Belly? Lawrence, <laughs> it's not Barnum and Belly <laughs> it's Barnum and Stomach <laughs>
20: Jerry, if we're gonna try to make some money at the circus we better get on over there
21: Okay, Dean. So long, Florence. See you later. Goodbye. Bye. Gee, isn't it fun back here behind these tents with all the circus people? Yeah. Hey, Dean, look at that ping pong game. And isn't it wonderful how they're playing without paddles?
20: Those are you bangies. They can do a lot of things with
10: those lips.
21: (laughs) Hey, Dean, let's walk around.
10: All right.
21: Hey, Dean, look. The rubber man. Gee, look how he can stretch. Are oh, you
1: kids you having fun looking around?
21: Sure, Sophie. We were just going over to look at the rubber man.
1: Oh, yeah, the rubber man. Yeah, You're a personal friend of mine, you know, Jim Fisk.
3: Fifty. <laughs> Fifty
1: thousand miles without a retread. <laughs> Come around after the show and introduce you to his family, wife and four little white sidewalls. <laughs> Well, Soapy, we're here. Now, remember, you said we could make some uh, extra money here at the circus. Yeah, yeah, I know. Relax, will you? I'm going to show you a surefire way to make money at the circus. Really? How? I am going to put you in a ticket booth, see? And I will teach you how to make change the Soapy Leonard way. (laughs) Yes, sir? You will make a fortune. Honest? Bless his stupid little heart. (laughs) Why, of course it's honest. Now, now, look, I'll show you how. Say, for instance, a, a guy comes up to the window, see? He gives you a $10 bill for two tickets. Now, what you say is you say, two tickets, that is $2, here is your change. Three, four, five. See? And then the Ruby says, hey, wait a minute. He says, I gave you a $10 bill, and you say, was only five. Now, beat it, bud. You're holding up the line.
21: Gee, that sounds easy. Can I try it?
1: Yeah, sure you can. Step behind the ticket booth. Uh-huh. Here comes a customer. Go ahead, kid.
10: Uh, I want two tickets. Here's a dollar.
21: The tickets are two dollars, and here's your change. Three, four, and five.
10: <laughs> hey, wait a minute! I only give you one dollar bill.
21: It was a five. Now beat it, bud. You're holding up the line. <laughs> Just like you told me Ain't I the shifty
1: one? Yeah, you're a shifty one, all right Between the ears, fluid
3: drive (laughs) You'll have to
1: find something else for you boys to do Well, let me see How about the baseball game?
21: Baseball
1: game? Yeah, the baseball game All that needs is a guy with a good voice And then another guy with a good head on his shoulders
21: Well, that's us Dean's got a good voice (laughs) Well, you know me
3: yeah.
1: As I was saying, the guy with the voice, he stands out front singing, he gives with the spiel.
21: Uh-huh. A- a- and-, and what about me? The-, the guy with the head on his shoulders?
1: You go around and back. You put your head through a little hole on the canvas and the customers throw baseballs at it. Well, what do you say?
21: Bye. Well, I gotta go.
1: Uh, I gotta go now. I'm halfway through a game of tic-tac-toe on a tattooed lady's back. Uh, good
20: luck. to you boys later. Very Better get behind the canvas Here comes a beautiful girl And maybe I can help her You know Maybe sort of get her To play the game. So hurry, hurry, hurry Step right up And play the baseball game Hello there Hello, baby <laughs> Right up, three balls for a quarter, and you can take home any one of these big, beautiful cupie dolls. Well,
24: what do I have to do to take home that cute schmoo doll over there?
21: You gotta marry me. <laughs> oh, quiet,
25: Jer. Okay, here's my quarter. Hold
21: it, Dean. I'll make the change. Here you are, lady. Twenty-five, fifty, <laughs> one dollar, two, three, four, and five. But I only gave you a quarter Beat it, kid You're holding up the line
20: (laughs) Ah, come on, Jerry She'll never be able to hit you Now go on Put your head through the hole Okay, miss Here's the three balls Now the idea of the game Is to hit Jerry Right on the top of the head (laughs) All right I'll try (laughs) 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 Jerry, you're supposed to duck
21: Okay, I'll duck this time
3: Jerry, you all right?
20: Say something.
21: Sure. Boot a pie to peek the peek a poke <laughs> <laughs> Oh, here, miss.
20: Here's your doll. Come on, Jay. This job isn't for us.
21: You said it. Let's get out of here. Boy, am I glad we quit that game. It was awful. All those baseballs coming out at me. D- do I look all right? Sure why is that fellow over there staring at my head?
26: I'm just trying to figure out which lump has the Tony.
1: Why, it's Bert <laughs> Lancaster!
20: Hello, Dean. Well, say, Mr. Lancaster, do you know my partner? No, I don't believe we've met. Well, shake
26: hands with Jerry Lewis. Okay, Jerry, put her there. <laughs>
21: Wait a minute, Mr. Lancaster. You, I gave you four fingers and a thumb. Where's my chain? Peter, kid. You're holding up the line. You
26: know, Mr. Lancaster,
21: we're,
20: we're great fans of yours.
21: Yes. Gee, you were wonderful in the killers, brute force, kiss the blood off my hands.
26: <laughs> well, I'm glad you liked them, Jerry. But I've given up those pictures where I play a brute. It's too tough a racket. Every time I do a picture, I have to beat up four or five thugs.
21: Yeah, but you always got the beautiful girl.
26: That's what I say. It's too tough a racket. <laughs>
21: Lancaster. Yes? Are you for real? <laughs> but, uh,
26: Bert, what are you doing here at the circus? Well, the owner's letting me do my old trapeze act for a couple of days to brush up on my acrobatic routines.
21: Brush up? You mean you were with a
26: circus before? Well, sure. Before I became an actor, I was with the Cole Brothers Circus for many years. Yeah, I have heard about that. Of course, I had an acrobatic act. Well, I used to hold up 16 men on my shoulders. And for an encore, I'd lift one foot off the floor.
21: Gosh, what an act.
26: Sure was. Only one night I got hammy, I lifted both feet off the floor.
3: <laughs> uh,
26: but tell me, uh, what are you fellas doing here? Oh, a friend of ours told us to come down and work in the circus, and maybe we could pick up some extra cash. Oh,
21: that's an idea, Dean. Maybe Mr. Lancaster would help me in his act.
26: Well, uh, I don't know, Jerry. I don't think you've got the physique to be an acrobat.
21: Oh, yeah? Wait till I double up my arm. Now, look at that muscle. Pretty good, huh?
26: Well, it's perfect. Who did it for you? Max Factor? <laughs>
21: kidding, why? I got muscles all over me. Look at these shoulders.
26: Those are shoulders?
21: <laughs> they are shoulders.
26: What else? I'm sorry. I thought you were wearing your Adam's apple sideways. <laughs>
21: now you listen to me, Mr. Lancaster. I may not look like much, but if I ever hit you, boy, you better watch out, because I'll fall right apart. Sherry, <laughs> <laughs> I
26: was only kidding. I didn't mean anything. Except you aren't just built to be an acrobat. But if you fellas are looking for a circus job, I'll find you something. Come on. Well, what have you got in mind? Well, you see this tent? That's a circus office, and the owner's in there working. Now, you've got a good voice, Dean, so you sing something, and maybe he'll hire you.
21: That'll be swell for Dean. And hey, you know what I can do. Watch this.
26: <coughs> Sorry, Jerry. I'm afraid your hoochie isn't coochie enough. <laughs> what are you going to sing, Dean?
16: I don't see me in your
26: eyes anymore. Fine. Let's hear it.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
10: I don't see me in your eyes anymore, oh why can't I make them shine as
3: before,
10: I don't See you, or your heart and your kiss, when you should
3: sigh
10: that your mind you resist, there i ho whole...
21: Well,
20: thanks, Jay, but where's Bert Lancaster?
21: Oh, we'll see him pretty soon. He had to go put on his costume for the trapeze act he's gonna do. Well, come on with me, Dean, because I just made the smartest deal so we can pick up a little money.
10: You made a smart deal?
21: Sure. The spiritualist Professor Zombie has gone to dinner, and he wants us to watch his booth here. Now,
20: wait a minute. What are you wrapping that towel around my head for?
21: Well, you can be the professor, and I'll get under this table and be the voice from the beyond.
20: Well, that ought to be easy for you. You've been out of this world for years. <laughs> Okay, Jerry, now get under the table. Here comes somebody.
21: Okay, Dean. I'm under the table. Oh, good afternoon, Professor Zombie. I'm so glad I found you in. I want to speak to my dear departed
25: loved one.
10: Your husband?
25: Well, all right, if you can't get my dear departed
3: loved one. <laughs> You'll
10: call the spirits, madam. The price will be five dollars.
21: All I have is two dollars.
10: All right, I'll take that.
21: <laughs> the first thing I Fly want. Quiet, do...
20: madam. I'm going into my trance. I will try to make contact with the spirits.
10: Spirit, oh spirit, if you hear me knock on the table. Spirit, oh spirit, if you hear me knock. Spirit, why don't you knock?
21: I ain't
3: got gin yet. <laughs>
20: Make sure it's your husband, madam. What was his name? Francois.
16: Francois? Francois? Is that you, Francois? Oui, oui. Oh
21: la la. Coca Cola. <laughs> <laughs> That's strange. My husband's full name was Francois Schulzenheimer. Ach, <laughs> tu <laughs> That's even stranger. He was educated at Oxford. To leave a out, pip, pip, and tally out <laughs> What did he say?: I don't
20: know, madam, I didn't quite catch it. There must be something wrong. Oh spirit of Francois and the Great Beyond. What is the matter?:
21: <laughs> It's getting pretty hot down here. <laughs> oh That's where he went. <laughs> Thank you, Francois. Thank you, Swami. You've made me so happy. Bye.
20: Bye.
26: (laughs) Hey, Dean, Jerry.
21: What do you want, Bert?
26: Never mind the spiritualist, booth. Come on with me, both of you. I got a good job for you. You have a fine.
21: Oh, boy. Anything will be better than sitting under that table and being a voice on the beyond. Or that awful job I had before, getting hit in the head with those baseballs.
26: Well, here's your chance to get a good job, make some real money. It's almost time for the lion act, and the lion tamer has disappeared. Lion tamer has disappeared. Any clues? Well, only one. The lion just asked for a toothpick.
21: <laughs> oh. A- and my job is to get him the toothpick,
26: huh? No, your job is to go in and tame him.
21: Here you are, get your baseball, three for four. Jerry,
20: do you mean to say you'd be afraid to go into that cage with a lion?
21: Yeah, he's liable to think I'm the toothpick. <laughs>
26: Jerry, you're making a big thing out of nothing. Now look, here's his cage. Just look at him Just a decrepit, broken down, old, old lion. Why, why, if you yell boo at him, he'd faint with fright.
21: Really?
26: Huh. Boo!
21: He must have his hearing aid
20: turned off Now listen, I'm not going into that lion's
21: cage Jerry, surely you're not afraid of that lion Oh yes, I am Surely you're not a coward
26: Oh yes, I am Now wait a minute, Dean Jerry, surely you're not going into that lion's cage
21: Oh yes, I am Okay big I am. Now look, 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 Mr. Lyon. Dean, I'm scared. What do I do, Dean?
20: Just hold that chair out in front of you, Jerry. Okay. I don't think he wants to
21: sit down.
20: <laughs> hey, Bert, this is getting serious. I think it would better get him out of there. Yeah, okay. Put through
26: here fast, Jerry.
21: Is the door closed? Yeah. With the bar down? Yes. With the lock on?
20: Yeah.
21: What did you guys drag me out of there for? Ah,
20: <laughs> oh, Jerry, you were scared to death.
14: And now, ladies and gentlemen, over the center ring, we present one of the most daring, spectacular, death-defying acts of all times, Mr. Bert Lancaster, performing 100 feet above the ground.
16: Are you ready to go up, Mr. Lancaster?
26: I'm ready, Mr. Ringmaster. But first, I'll need a volunteer to assist me on the high trapeze.
20: Jerry, Bert's done a lot for us. You're going to volunteer, aren't you?
26: Oh,
20: no, I'm not. Oh, Jerry, you're going to help an old pal, aren't you? Oh,
26: no, I'm not. Wait a minute, Dean. Jerry, you're going to refuse to go up on the high trapeze with me, aren't you?
21: Oh, no, I'm not. Okay, (laughs) fine. You're
26: the volunteer. He
21: did it to me again. I was saying I didn't want to go up on the high trapeze. But he talked so fast, and the crowd was all looking, and I got all mixed up, and Dean. What? I made a (laughs) boo-boo. Oh, come on, Jerry.
26: All you got to do is put your foot in this loop of rope, and they'll haul us right up to the top of the tent.
21: And
14: there they go, ladies and gentlemen. Up and up and up, higher
20: and higher. And now they're on the platform a hundred feet
21: above the ground. They say we're 100 feet above the ground? That's right. Oh, why did I ever leave that nice, comfortable lion's cage?
26: <laughs> oh, there's nothing true to this trick, Jerry. We're on separate trapezes, hanging by our knees. Now, when I give the signal, we swing out at the same time, and I catch it. You got it? Got it. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Okay, Jerry. Let's go.
20: <laughs> Jerry, you fell all the way down from the trapeze. Are you all right?
21: Yeah, 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 Dean. I, I guess so.
26: How is he? Is Jerry hurt, oh, Dean? He says he's all right.
21: Yeah, I'm okay, Bert. But what, what, what went wrong? You, you didn't catch me.
26: I can't understand it, Jerry. I haven't done the act in a long while And maybe, I, maybe my timing was a little off Maybe I should have given the signal a little, a little later Maybe I should have put my hands up a little sooner Or maybe I... Well, let's face it, Jerry Why? I made a boo-boo
1: Jerry, Jerry, Dean Didn't I promise that you'd make a couple of hundred bucks If you came to the sinkers? Well, here you are. Here's one hundred, two hundred.
21: Soapy, two hundred dollars? What for?
1: The owner said that fall you took is the greatest act he has ever seen. <laughs> Gee, Jerry, you did it. Two hundred dollars will pay all our bills. Uh-huh. And fight and more, the owner made me a very attractive proposition. He said that he would give you another two hundred bucks to take the same fall every night.
21: You mean I can get two hundred dollars for dropping on my head?
1: Yep, yep, that's right. Hey, hey, where you going, kid?
21: I'm going to call my mother. She owes me a fortune. <laughs> well,
20: thank you, Bert Lancaster. Good
21: night, folks. See you next week. Bye.
1: Bye. The Martin and Lewis Show, transcribed in Hollywood, is produced by Robert L. Red and written by Dick McKnight and Ray Allen with Cy Rose and Mort Lockman. Bert Lancaster is starring in the Hal Wallace production, Rope of Sand. That's a Paramount picture. This is Ben Alexander, suggesting you tune in to your NBC station each Tuesday evening at this same hour for the Martin
3: and Lewis show.
18: This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
27: Your Coca-Cola bottler presents Claudia. Claudia, based on the original stories by Rose Franken. Brought to you transcribed Monday through Friday by your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. Relax, and while you're listening, refresh yourself. Have a Coke. And now, Claudia.
28: Bertha, we haven't got much time left. have we? Mr. Norton will be home soon. I don't want him to see this, remember?
29: We don't need more time, Mrs. Norton.
28: Almost. It is ready to go into the mold. Just one more bit. Hey, can I have a little taste before you pour? But surely, go ahead. Taste. It's not sanitary to taste, but here goes.
29: Don't worry. Nobody will know that your finger has been in it.
28: Mmm. I didn't know salmon mousse could be so good. I wish I knew how to make it.
29: Now you know it, yeah? Now I know it No. Mr.
28: Norton, he likes salmon mousse. He doesn't like salmon.
29: Mama doesn't either. Neither does Fritz. I make a mousse for Fritz, too. All mixed up, he doesn't know what it is. He eats
28: it. Mr. Norton won't know what it is either, and he'll love it. Here, let me wash that pan for you.
29: It's all washed already.
28: Bertha, you're marvelous. If I boil one egg, the whole kitchen gets involved.
29: When you have cooked so long as I have, 30 years, you will know so much, too.
28: I never will. I'm not the efficient type. Mama's been trying to teach me for ages. How do you two do it? I try to explain.
29: When a new wife learns to cook, she uses everything she has. Whoosh! The whole kitchen, it gets upside down. You know, Mrs. Norton, sometimes I think a girl, she shouldn't be married until she's 50 years old.
28: Oh, dear, I couldn't wait that long to marry David.
29: But you will learn one day. One day you wake up and you are neat like a pin.
28: I'll tell Mr. Norton that he'll be delighted. What day will I wake up neat?
29: Soon. You want I should pull the mousse into the mold? No, no, no.
28: Hey, let me do it, Bertha. Oh, where would I put that mold now? Is this it? No, I wanted to use the one that was shaped like a fish. I oh, saw sir. it someplace. Where was it? In the
29: closet you put it.
28: Oh, I couldn't have. What would I put it in the closet for? Is this Mrs. Norton? Yes, where was it? In the closet. See what I mean about myself?
29: Now Mrs. Norton, pour it in slow. And just before your dinner party, I will bring up the filling.
28: Bertha, what would I do without you? Oh, fine. You would do fine. Oh, we would do without salmon, Moose. That's one sure thing.
29: Mrs. Norton, for me, believe me, it is a real happiness to help you. You are as if I had found my own child again. You had six, didn't you, Bertha? I had six, yeah. I lost three. How awful. So is the way it goes in life. I don't think I could bear it, to have a child and lose it. You cannot always fight with life. Ah, but for you, everything will be beautiful. You want children, don't you? Oh, a
28: house full, right away, too. That is good. I like to hear that. David says they'll all be boys and look like him. Uh, Bertha, I'm putting the moose in the back of the icebox with a plate over it, so Mr. Norton won't see it. (laughs) This party will be a very important occasion, Bertha. Yes? Yes, first time Mama comes over for dinner.
29: Surely that is important. It's
28: the way I, I always want it. She's a very important person, only she doesn't know it.
29: Yeah, that is why she is important.
30: Have uh, you seen my pipe, Claudia?
31: It's uh, uh, It's in
28: the living room, David, on the table next to the desk chair. That's funny. What's funny?
30: That it's on the table next to the desk chair.
28: Isn't that where you want it?
30: (laughs) What's that got to do with it?
28: What'd you say, David?
30: It's never been where I want it before. It's always been someplace else.
28: That's because that's the way it's been. It doesn't mean that's the way it's always going to have to be, does it?
30: Say, what's got into you tonight? What do you mean? You're making sense. I always make sense, David. (laughs) But not very sensible sense always.
28: Well, do you want it? Want what? Your pipe, of course.
30: Not just yet. I'll finish changing first.
28: Then why did you ask for it?
30: Just like to know where it is.
28: You and your pipe. You'd think it was worth a million dollars. It
30: is to me. It's taken me months to develop its personality.
28: Are you hungry?
30: You bet I am. Good. Got something special?
28: Everything I make is special.
30: In its own way, I suppose. Don't you have to go in and whip something up or something?
28: Nope. it's all ready. Everything's ready and all at the same time, too.
30: Well, you sound professional. While you're at the dresser, throw me my brush, would you, dear?
28: Catch. Oh, you missed.
30: I'm standing oh. here, not there. I threw
28: it right to you, your butterfish. Here, you catch. <laughs>
30: now who's butterfish? You didn't throw
28: it anywhere near me.
30: <laughs> Tit for tat. Now hand me my brush like a good girl. Huh? Well,
28: you give me for it?
30: Well, if you don't hand it over, I'll give you something. Now don't you worry. You can't scare me. Here, give it here.
28: Oh, take it. I don't want your silly old brush anyway.
30: Now, stand still. I'll give you something. What? Close your eyes.
28: They're closed. The left one, too. You see everything. There. That was nice, darling. Just for a brush, too.
30: Just for you. Now, go and sit on the bed so I can comb my hair.
28: Isn't it wonderful when things are done systematically? There's so much more time.
30: Time for what?
28: For us, of course. David, why don't you try parting your hair on the right side for a change?
30: Because men part their hair on the left side.
28: You get bald parting your hair always on the same side.
30: I'm not the type that gets bald. Now let's eat.
28: Let's. Everything's waiting.
30: It certainly is different to have it waiting for me than to have me wait for it.
28: You like it better?
30: Well, so far, okay. You even remembered to light the stove before putting in the meat.
28: Now, just because I did that once doesn't mean I'll always do it.
30: That's nice to know. You know, the man who designed this apartment was no architect. This hall is awfully long for the rest of us. I,
28: I, I think he figured that people who sleep don't have to eat, or vice versa.
30: <laughs> he didn't know us.
28: <laughs> Not bad, is it, David, having dinner like this? Just the two of us? And everything waiting as if we had a butler?
30: Not bad at all. Wouldn't mind doing it every night, even.
28: I might get bored, though. It's too simple.
30: You're right. Not enough excitement.
28: Maybe we ought to dress for dinner.
30: No. Tomorrow night, when your mother comes, I'll wear that new tie you bought me.
28: Well, here we are, Mr. Norton. Hope you enjoy your dinner.
30: Same to you, Mrs. Norton. Can I help you bring in the things from the kitchen?
28: You just sit down like a man. I'll bring it in.
30: Claudia. Hmm? Table's not set.
28: Of course it is.
30: All I see is a knife and fork. What else do we need? Ants, if it's a picnic. If it's not a picnic, salt, pepper, glasses, napkins. I'm bringing
28: everything in with a plate. Saves time.
30: What are you going to do with all that time you're saving?
28: Spend it with you. What do you think?
30: Oh, that's different. That's different.
28: Oh, I forgot the butter plates and the butter knives. Do we need them?
30: Well, they're not imperative. I guess not.
28: I guess not, too. They're just a nuisance. You have to wash them after.
30: You're right. No butter plates.
28: We we'll use the dinner plate. See, I put the butter on the corner of it in the kitchen and the and roll. Just like that, I save two plates.
30: The butter has an unfortunate habit of sliding into the gravy and the potatoes.
28: Oh, not if you put it right on the roll, David. All right with me. I'll be right back.
30: All of this efficiency makes me feel as if we should get acquainted all over again, Chloe. I
28: can't hear you.
30: I say, all of this makes me feel as we should get acquainted all over again.
28: Wait and tell me when I come in, David. Here I come.
30: Now, that tray is is loaded. Here, here, give it to me.
28: I've got everything on it, so I only have to make one trip. It's much better than running in and out all the time.
30: Oh, much, much.
28: What were you saying before?
30: Just that you develop a new talent every day.
28: Is that bad?
30: Not so far.
28: Here's your plate.
30: Hey, what happened to that salmon you bought yesterday?
28: said you didn't like it. I'll never give you anything you don't like.
30: That's the spirit. Mmm. Those chops look good.
28: They're done, too. I put them in when you started showering. They take exactly 16 minutes, and so do you.
30: And you're lucky I'm not erratic. Mmm. Potatoes are cooked through, too.
28: What about the beans?
30: to eat, which is pretty good for beans. you really improved.
28: It's my new system, David. Or, or rather, Bertha's. Hope you like the salad, too.
30: I'll let you know in a minute. Now, let's see. Uh, where are the salad plates?
28: There aren't any.
30: Well, we are don't eat butter plates.
28: Why do we need salad plates?
30: I don't know anything funny at all about a salad plate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we have
28: butter. Why do we need salad? We eat it on the same plate. Afterwards.
30: Afterwards what?
28: Afterwards we're through eating what's on the plate now.
30: but darling, chops and beans and potatoes don't mix with salad dressing.
28: David, you're upsetting my whole system. Oh, all right, I'll get the salad plates. Fancy no, meat. no, don't bother. Truly, really, David, isn't this better than jumping up and down all the time, getting things?
30: Mm-hmm, I guess so. Hey, don't you want your salad?
28: Oh, uh, not just yet.
30: You make the dressing?
28: Yep, with lots of garlic.
30: Mm, fine. Whoops! What's the <laughs> matter? Some of it missed my place, but it didn't miss my trousers.
28: <gasps> David, they're just home from the cleaners.
30: It's not their fault. Not enough room on the plate.
28: David... Can I borrow a little butter from you?
30: I put all of mine on the roll right away.
28: I melted it into the gravy, but that's my fault. I wasn't quick enough.
30: i get some.
28: No, you mustn't. I mustn't. I'd rather have it this way so we can be together and eat and not be disturbed. Oh. Well, so far it's worked out, don't you think?
30: Like a charm.
28: I'll manage it even better tomorrow. And now, you know what? Right after dinner, I'm going to set the table for breakfast. Then I won't have to do it in the morning.
30: I suppose we'll have to sleep standing up so as not to rumple the beds.
28: Now that's exaggerating.
30: Is it? <laughs> now how about some salad?
28: Wonderful. No, I I guess I don't want it after all.
30: Mm. Delicious. Lots of garlic.
28: Too much gravy in my plate. I'll have to do without. Suit yourself. It smells wonderful, but no, no. That I... settles
30: it. That settles it.
28: David, where are you going? Stop! I'll eat it with the gravy. Hey, David, are you all
32: right?
30: Hmm? I was bringing you a salad plate.
28: Oh, here, let me pick you, help you pick up the pieces. Hey, don't cut yourself again. Careful, you'll hit your head on the corner of the table. Oh. Oh, darling, move over. Let me see. Where? Mm. There. Kind
30: of nice here under the table. Yes, isn't it? But not very efficient of me to drop that plate.
28: I forgive you. Don't be greedy. Let me help.
30: Sure. I'll let you help.
28: It's fun picking up a salad plate together, isn't
30: it? It's fun eating off a salad plate together, too. It's even fun washing a salad plate together. As a matter of fact, I'd rather do things together, I think, than to be so busy trying not to do them at all. Wouldn't you, dear?
28: You think I got a little over-efficient too quick, maybe?
30: (laughs) You think I got a little over-hasty with that salad plate, maybe?
28: David Naughton, I could wring your neck breaking (laughs) a a perfectly good salad plate just so you could point a moral.
30: Mm Mm-hmm, just so we could be together under the kitchen table.
27: story material used on this broadcast of Claudia was under the supervision of Rose Franken and William Brown Maloney. When you're planning a party, less fuss means more fun. And that's why an experienced hostess always has a good supply of Coca-Cola on hand. That's an easy rule to follow now because there's more Coke available. Keep an ample supply in your refrigerator and you'll always have gracious hospitality ready and waiting for your guests. Every day, Monday through Friday, Claudia comes to you transcribed with the best wishes of your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. So listen again Monday at the same time. And now this is Joe King saying au revoir, and remember, whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you may be, when you think of refreshment, think of Coca-Cola. For ice-cold Coca-Cola makes any pause the pause that refreshes.
19: Well, your father says so, and your father knows best.
33: Yes, it's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons, brought to you by Maxwell House, the coffee that's bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand of coffee at any price. Maxwell House, always good to the last drop.
8: <laughs> Slap
33: a bunch of poets together, and at least one thing is bound to emerge a new definition of love. In one of his flossier moments, Shakespeare wrote, Love is a smoke grazed with the fume of sighs which is very nice if you go in for that sort of thing. The Messrs. Thurber and White, on the other hand, viewed the emotion with a more practical eye. Love, they said, is the strange bewilderment which overtakes one person on account of another person. In Springfield, in the white frame house on Maple Street, the Andersons probably have ideas of their own on this ethereal subject. Like,
13: well, like this. I think I'll have a little more rice. Would you mind passing it, Betty?
19: Yes, Father. Jim.
13: Honey, let's not start that business about rice being fattening. It isn't.
19: Well, you were the one who said that you're wasting... Margaret,
13: rice is not fattening. It's the stuff you put on it. Like butter. You put butter on anything it's fattening. But have you ever seen me put butter on my rice? No, dear. You're darn right you haven't. Kathy, please pass the gravy.
25: (laughs) Here you are, Daddy.
13: Now that you mention mentioned it, what's wrong with my waistline?
24: <laughs>
13: I haven't gained a pound in 20 years.
24: What was that?
13: Well, maybe two pounds.
24: Mm-hmm. Daddy, look at Bud.
13: Why, I've been looking at him for 15 years.
24: He isn't eating his dinner.
13: Well, maybe he's got problems. Bud? Bud? Yes, dear? <laughs> <laughs> Dear. Bud, what's the matter with you?
19: Hmm? Jim, maybe he doesn't feel well. He's in
34: love.
13: Kathy, mind your own affairs and eat your dinner.
34: Well, he is.
13: Bud, do you feel all right? Bud! I'll answer. Sit down. (laughs) Don't you want me to answer the phone? It didn't ring. Will you please sit down?
9: Something rang. I can still hear it. Kind of like bells.
19: <laughs> Jim, I think he is ill. He's in love. Love. huh?
13: But if you don't feel well, go to your room. If you do feel well, eat your dinner. Maybe it's the doorbell.
19: I didn't hear anything.
13: But I just heard it again.
19: Jim, something is wrong. I, I don't like the look in his eyes.
13: You know, for the first time in her life, <laughs> Kathy may be right. Look at that idiotic grin. (laughs) (laughs) On me? On your brother. He looks like a cross between Boris Karloff and a contented cow. (laughs) All right, Bud, let's stop all this ridiculous moaning and groaning. What's wrong? Dad? Yes?
9: Have you ever been in love?
19: (laughs) Why, Bud... I mean, really
13: in love.
3: With a girl Well,
13: your mother wasn't exactly a rhinoceros
9: You ought to see her eyes, Dad They're blue The bluest eyes you ever saw Both of them Only has two,
3: huh? And hair
9: The most beautiful hair like the sun shining on my home plate.
3: <laughs>
13: but is this a girl or a doubleheader between the Yanks and Cleveland?
3: It's
9: a girl, the most wonderful girl in the whole world.
13: Fine, now I'll eat your dinner.
9: Food? How can you think of food at a time like this? I don't think I'll ever eat again. Not ever.
13: <laughs> I remember when I first met your mother, I went through the same thing. People thought I was going to starve to death.
24: And did you?
13: (laughs) No, I managed to pull through.
24: Daddy. Yes, Kathy? How long didn't you eat?
13: Oh, I don't know. I don't remember exactly. I know I missed practically one entire lunch. (laughs) Jim. Dad. What is it, lock and bar? Who? What do you want?
9: When you and Mom fell in love, what'd you do?
13: Don't you think you're getting a little nosy?
9: (laughs) No, I mean, how did you know you were in love? How often did you see one another?
13: Oh, a few times a week, something like that.
19: Jim, you were there every night and you know it.
13: Margaret, you're being absolutely no help at all. (laughs) Bud isn't serious about this girl, are you, Bud?
9: Boy, am I.
13: (laughs) I mean, he isn't thinking about marriage or anything ridiculous like that, are you?
19: What is ridiculous about marriage?
13: Margaret, he's 15 years old.
19: Oh, I don't mean for Bud.
13: Well, we weren't talking about Errol Flynn.
19: (laughs) Naturally, Bud isn't going to do anything foolish. Not yet, at any rate.
13: Of course not. When he gets a little older, that'll be time enough for him to do something foolish.
19: That's not what I meant, and you know it. Bud is a sensible boy, aren't you, dear? Sure. And he knows that he's much too young. He has a lot of time for girls, haven't you, dear?
9: Boy, have I.
13: (laughs) Bud, let's look at this thing in a more practical manner. You know, going out with girls can be kind of expensive. Flowers, candy, movies? Well, that's one of the things I wanted
9: to talk about, Dad. You see, I only get a dollar and a quarter a week. Yes? How can you take a girl out on a dollar and a quarter a week? You can't. Well, that's why I was thinking... But
13: if you're really sincere about this girl, if you think your life and happiness depend on her, well, do what I did. Go sit on her front porch. (laughs) Gosh, what kind of
9: fun can you have on a front porch?
13: Oh, don't be stupid. (laughs) Jim. Bud, when I was courting your mother, all we did was sit on her front porch. Didn't we, honey?
19: Yes, dear.
13: Night after night, week after week, we just sat there and held Hmm. hands.
19: And looked at the moon. A large, lovely, friendly moon.
13: Never got so sick and tired of looking at anything in my whole life.
19: (laughs) Why, Jim.
13: Well, let's face it the same darn thing every night. Just sit there and look at the moon.
19: There were a great many other boys who were perfectly willing to take your place.
13: But I wouldn't let them, would I?
19: (laughs) You certainly wouldn't. You were the stubbornest thing I've ever known.
13: Sure, but I was cute. And I knew a good thing when I saw it. Dad. Now what?
9: When you were sure that Mom was the right one for you, I mean, when you knew that you couldn't live without her,
13: then what'd you do? Well, I... What did we do, Margaret?
19: Well, you made me get all dressed up in my best bib and tucker, and you took me home to visit your family.
13: That's right. (laughs) I can still feel my knees knocking. Was I ever scared?
19: Not half as scared as I was.
13: Eh, It turned out all right, though, didn't it, honey? Mm Mm-hmm. They fell in love with you just like I did. Bud, where are you going?
19: I'll be right back, Dad. I have to make a phone call.
13: You come back here and eat your dinner.
19: Leave the boy alone, Jim. It's his first big love. He's got to get used to it. Love.
13: Betty, you haven't said a pleasant word all evening. What's gotten into you?
24: She isn't eating her dinner, either.
13: Why don't you do your homework?
24: I did it.
13: Do it over again.
24: (laughs) Can't I just keep still?
13: All right, but see that you do. Betty, do you feel all right?
24: I feel fine. She had a fight with Billy Smith.
13: I thought you were going to keep still.
24: Well, if I did, nobody'd ever get to know anything
19: around here. (laughs) (laughs)
13: We'd find out, somehow.
19: Betty, if you and Billy Smith had another argument.
24: I never want to see him again as long as I live.
13: I thought you were getting along fine.
24: We were until he met that Eloise March, that little snip.
13: Who's Eloise March?
24: Just the worst little flirt in town, that's all. And if he wants her, he can have her.
19: Betty, I wouldn't get all upset about it if I were you. I'm not upset.
24: I'm not the least bit upset. I just wouldn't give you three cents for all the men in the world, that's all.
3: I would.
13: (laughs) (laughs) This uh, Eloise March must be quite a character.
24: She's a vampire, that's what she is. Is she pretty? Oh, how do I know? I've never even seen her. I'm through with men. I'm going to have a, a career instead. I'm going to devote my whole life to being... Being a chemist or something. I still love you, Betty.
3: (laughs) Oh,
19: Oh, dear.
13: Taking it pretty hard, isn't she?
19: Well, she and Billy have been friends for so long. What do you think we ought to do? Mommy. What is it, dear? Aren't you glad
24: I don't do anything except break windows?
9: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, dear, you're a great help. Well, it's all set, Dad. I called her and she's coming over.
13: Who's coming over? My girl. Bud, why in the name of all that's holy? Well, you said to bring her over, didn't you? I said no such thing. But that's what you did. You said so. Bud, this is not the time to bring a girl around. We're having enough trouble with girls. Your sister and Eloise March and... How did you know? How did I know what? About Eloise March. What about Eloise March?
9: That's my girl. Oh, no.
3: (laughs)
12: coffee. Welcome words you can hear across your breakfast table from the world's greatest coffee expert. Yes, ma'am, he'll be there, that number one expert, because he's your husband. Naturally, we think we're pretty fair experts. Our Maxwell House coffee is America's favorite brand. But the person with the final say, the one we both want to please, is that husband of yours. And if you'll make his breakfast coffee Maxwell House... We're mighty sure he'll tell you, Mmm, that's wonderful coffee. Matter of fact, if he doesn't, we'll give you your money back. You see, we know there's no coffee made like Maxwell House. And that's why no coffee tastes like Maxwell House. It's the only coffee with that famous good-to-the-last-drop flavor. Get Maxwell House tomorrow and start serving it to your husband. And if he doesn't say it's the best coffee he ever tasted... Why, send us the can, an unused portion, and we'll gladly refund the price you paid. Our address is on the front of every one of those familiar blue tins. Tomorrow, find out how much the world's greatest coffee expert enjoys Maxwell House coffee. Always good
33: to the last drop. These are parlous times in which we live, and days of great decisions. Throughout the world, men of substance watch the headlines with an anxious eye, keeping one ear to the ground and the other glued to the radio, which is a neat trick if you can do it. Jim Anderson may not quite succeed, but in the living room of the white frame house on Maple Street, he's giving it quite a try,
13: like this. Margaret, why don't people leave things where they belong? Margaret!
19: What is it, Jim?
13: What happened to my large map of Korea? I don't
19: know, dear,
13: It was right here on the table.
19: Well, if it was on the table, that's where it ought to be. No one's been in the living room. Jim, what on earth are you doing? What's the matter? All those maps on the floor, and Bud's friend is going to be here any moment.
13: Margaret, I'm waiting for a very important broadcast. It's coming from all over the world, even Moscow. I don't want to miss a word. This is the only radio in the house that's any good, and you know it.
19: All right, but I still don't see why you need eight million maps scattered all over the floor.
13: There are five... Maps. Where's the one of Korea I had on the table?
19: Which table?
13: This table.
19: What is this?
13: That's the map.
19: (laughs) Of course, you couldn't dream of lifting up a big, heavy magazine.
13: Well, the magazine had no business being there in the first place.
19: Dear, if I go into the kitchen, do you think you can find your way back to the radio?
13: If I get lost, I'll send up smoke signals.
3: <laughs> One
19: if by
13: land and two if by sea.
19: I'll make an over, dear. He
13: thinks it's so funny. How did I know it was under the magazine? People go around hiding your maps under magazines. Think all a man has to do is go around looking under magazines. Bud?
19: He's upstairs, Jim.
13: The doorbell rang.
19: Bud, the doorbell rang. I'm combing my hair. He's combing his hair, Jim.
13: What do you want me to do about it?
19: You might answer the door
13: Well, if you're going to be logical Wait until a man has something really important to do Maps all over the floor All right, keep your shirt on, I'm coming Dizzy little character Probably hasn't got a brain in her head anyway Hello there
25: Is this the Anderson residence?
13: It certainly is Come on in
25: I'm Eloise and Don't tell me You're Mr. Anderson
13: how did you ever figure that out?
25: Oh, I'd have known you anywhere, Mr. Anderson. Really I would. Lover Boy's told me so much about you.
13: Lover boy has, has he? Oh, yes. Yeah. That was nice of him. Lover boy.
3: Uh... <laughs>
13: Bud, your friend is here. The thundering herd will be down in a minute. He's fixing his makeup.
25: I don't mind.
13: Well, let's go into the living room and sit down.
25: All right. My, you have a lovely home. It's so so
3: gauche.
13: I was hoping you'd notice that. <laughs>
3: We've
13: tried to make it one of the gauchest homes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Margaret, Bud's friend is here. Please. Just a minute, dear. Uh, Mrs. Anderson will be right in. Then you can all go into the den and have a nice little chat.
3: My,
25: all those great big maps. What are they?
13: Oh, just maps of the world. I use them for reference on the important news broadcasts.
25: You do? Why, how clever. Oh.
13: I just listen to the broadcasts. I don't deliver them.
25: Oh, how clever to use maps. And of the whole world. It's just like I told Bud. Men are so,
3: so
13: gauche.
25: <laughs> Aren't they ever? <laughs>
13: Margaret. Oh,
25: fuzzy boy. Hi,
9: Eloise. Gee, you look nice.
25: Oh, but I don't either. Why, I threw on just any old thing.
9: You sure threw him in the right place, didn't you?
3: <laughs> yes,
13: he's uh, quite a picture.
25: Oh, why, Mr. Anderson.
13: And uh, speaking of pictures, why don't you show Miss Marsh the pictures in the den or someplace?
9: But you said when you took Mom
13: over to your but let's house... let's not have any arguments about it. There's going to be a very important broadcast.
19: I'm sorry it... to have kept you waiting, Miss March, but I was busy in the kitchen.
13: Mom, this is
9: Eloise.
19: I'd have
25: known you anywhere,
19: Mrs. Anderson. But
25: has told me so much about you. Oh, I'm sure he must have.
24: Father, was that the phone?
13: No, it wasn't the phone. It was the doorbell.
25: I'll be right down.
13: It wasn't for you... Margaret, why don't you take Bud and Eloise into the den and give them some milk and cookies or something?
25: Milk and cookies? Holy cow, Dad. (laughs) Mr. Anderson, you're
19: so droll.
24: (laughs) 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 Margaret.
3: Uh,
19: Why don't we show Eloise the pictures we took this summer, Bud? I'm sure she'd like that. But I thought when Dad took you over to his house...
24: Hi, what's all the excitement about? Uh, Betty,
13: why don't you go back upstairs?
24: We'll explain all about it
25: later. Go ahead, dear. Why can't I stay down here? I know. You must be Kathy. Uh,
9: that's Betty.
25: Oh, of course, Betty. I'd have known you anywhere. Bud's told me so much about you. I'm Eloise March. No!
13: <laughs> Margaret, why don't you all go into the den? <laughs>
24: after what she did to me.
9: What? who did to you? Uh,
24: Bud, why don't you take Eloise She the... came here to sneer at me. That's what she did. Eloise? I don't know what she's talking about. I swear I don't. Oh, yes, you do. You know just what I'm talking about. If you'd
13: all just go into the den.
3: Now <laughs> well, see
24: here,
9: Betty, you have no right to talk to Eloise that way. I'll talk to her any way I choose. You will not. I
13: certainly will. Betty, if you'll just go upstairs like a good girl. Why don't you all go into the den? <laughs>
24: look. look at her. And paint an inch thick, and Billy Smith thinks she's so wonderful.
13: Billy Smith?
24: Bud, honey, you know I don't care about anybody but you. You told the same thing to Billy Smith. I never did. Bud. And Janie Liggett's sister said you told the same thing to Russell Spencer.
9: Eloise, you didn't.
24: She certainly did. Betty. And he was going steady with Marion Swift all the time, and you
19: knew it. I did not know it. Bud. Jim, it won't do any good.
13: It has to. They're going to start the broadcast any minute. Look. If you'll all just go into the den...
9: Eloise, how could you?
25: How could I what?
9: Say what you said when you said you never said what you said before.
25: <laughs> well, I never did say it before. You certainly did. But, how can you stand there and let her talk like that?
9: You told me you never went out with older men.
25: I don't.
9: Billy Smith's 18.
13: And you went out with him.
25: Well, only three or four times, and that doesn't mean anything, does it? You've only
9: been out with me twice.
13: Bud, you're standing on my map. Just
25: because I go out with a boy three or four times, what does that prove?
13: Betty! You went out with Billy
9: Smith, and you told me you didn't go out with Billy Smith.
25: Not since Tuesday.
9: Bud, you're walking all over Alaska. (laughs) Betty! Just because he's older than I am and gets a bigger allowance... He
3: does? (laughs) No, He does.
9: So does everybody else. Why don't you go out with them? Don't
24: worry. She will. Betty,
13: telephone. Why don't you all go into the telephone? I'm
3: going home. That's where
25: I'm going. Good. And Bud Anderson, you're just the nastiest boy I've ever known in my whole life.
9: Bud, why don't you take Miss March to the door? She just said I was nasty.
25: He doesn't have to take me to the door. Now or ever.
13: And that goes for me, too. If you'll just go into the den
25: I'm sorry I ever came into this house, that's what And and I'm sorry I said it was gauche Because it isn't Well Holy cow Betty,
24: telephone
19: <laughs> I heard you All right, Betty, answer the phone
9: brazen little snip. I guess I told her. she whiz. And I spent my whole allowance on a box of candy. For her.
13: If no one has an objection, now may I listen to the broadcast?
9: A whole dollar and a quarter. Gone.
19: Bud, why don't you go into the kitchen and fix yourself a sandwich?
9: A sandwich? How can you eat with a broken heart?
13: <laughs> Easier than with an upper plate. <laughs> Stop acting like an idiot
9: and behave yourself. Women, they're just a the curse of humanity.
19: Yes, dear, we're awful.
13: Oh, I didn't mean you, Mom. Margaret, will you take that boy out and drown him? <laughs> I've got to have quiet in here for the broadcast.
24: All right, Bud, let's go inside now. Oh, Mother, it was Billy. It was Billy Smith. He explained all about Eloise Mars. Betty, please. I... He's a psychology major, and he was just using her for research. <laughs>
19: That's fine, dear.
24: And he's coming over right away with Russell Spencer and Marion Swift No. What?
13: I've had enough of this circus tonight. This is my house, too. I live here just as much as anybody, and I'm going to listen to this broadcast.
19: But, Father, I told them... I
13: don't care what you told them. I'm going to hear the broadcast, and that's final.
19: Betty, there's no reason why you and your friends can't go down to the playroom. But we'll have to sneak around on our tiptoes. Quiet,
33: please. At 9 o'clock. Due to this unforeseen difficulty, the news broadcast originally scheduled for this period will not be heard. In its place, we bring you that heartwarming tale of young love, the romance of Susan Blake.
3: Oh, no!
12: a time like that, I guess there just isn't much for Father to say. But I know one place where he's always got some mighty important words. When it comes to coffee, he can tell you exactly where to get the most in flavor for your money. Sure, Father knows best. He's the world's greatest coffee expert, just like that man of yours. And we think it'll really pay you to get your husband's expert opinion on our Maxwell House coffee. Because when he tries a cup and says, best coffee I ever tasted, you'll know Maxwell House gives you the most for your money. The most in flavor, the most in pure pleasure. Get a pound of Maxwell House tomorrow. See how your husband takes to that wonderful good to the last drop flavor. And count all the cups of truly good coffee you get from that one pound. We think you'll be convinced your coffee buy is Maxwell House coffee. Because it's always good to the last
13: drop.
33: It's midnight in Springfield, and all is quiet in the white frame house on Maple Street. That is, all should be nice and quiet. But you know how it is with the Andersons. Noon or midnight, there's never a dull moment like this.
13: Jim. Mm. Jim. What? What's the matter? Jim, wake up. Oh, what for?
19: Listen, I just heard something downstairs.
13: Oh, go to sleep, Margaret. It's probably nothing but a burglar.
19: Jim, are you going downstairs, or do you want me to call Bud?
13: No, never mind. I'll go.
19: Be very careful, dear. Please.
13: Sure, I'll be careful.
19: If it is a burglar, just call the police.
13: That's a very good idea. Thank you very much. Wake a man out of a sound sleep, and then expect him to go roaming around in the dark. Oh, Jim... One of these nights I'm going to fall down the stairs and break my neck. Serve them right, too. Call the police. What did she think I was going to do, wrestle with them? All right. Oh. Hiya, Dad. What's up? I am. <laughs> what are you doing down here?
9: I was hungry. You want a sandwich?
13: No, oh, thank you. What, uh, happened to your broken heart? Oh, I don't know. I was an awful boob, wasn't I? <laughs> no, not exactly. But you're getting there. <laughs> now, hurry up and get back to bed. Your mother's worried enough for one night.
9: Okay. Oh, say, Dad. Yes? Did you put a dollar on my dresser?
13: We'll uh, talk about it tomorrow. Dad. Now
9: what? Thanks for everything. Go to bed. You bet.
13: Good night, Dad. Good night. Lover boy.
33: (laughs) It's a wonderful feeling to start the day singing. Life is swell when you keep well. That's why post 40% Bran Flakes have become America's largest-selling brand flakes. Every one-ounce serving of Post 40% bran flakes provides bran to help prevent irregularity due to lack of bulk in the diet. They're so delicious-tasting and so good for you, too. Tomorrow, serve America's favorite bran flakes. Post 40% bran flakes. <laughs> ¶¶ Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Barge and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned in for Dragnet, which follows immediately over most of these stations.
27: Now it's Dragnet. Next Tuesday, Laugh with Bob Hope on
12: NBC.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is hair. H-A-I-R. Really? you bet your life. Elgin America, creator of America's most beautiful compact, smartest cigarette cases, magic action lighters, finest dresser sets presents Groucho Marx in the Elgin American show you bet your life the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood and here's that sterling Elgin American the one the only Groucho! that's me Groucho Marx <laughs>
20: Thank you. Well, here I am again with $2,000 for one of our couples tonight. George
1: Feniman, who's first on the docket? Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a pair of newlyweds. And here they are. Mr. and Mrs. Frank Goodell, meet Groucho Marx.
20: Welcome, youngsters, for Elgin American Compact. Thank you. And if you say the secret word, you win a 16-millimeter Apollo Sound movie projector that sells for $129.50. It's a common word, something you always have with you. You two are uh, newlyweds, eh? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Uh, Frank uh, Goodell, is
3: right? Yes,
20: You're not related to John Goodell. That's good You're the blushing bride, I take it.
31: I'm the bride.
30: <laughs> <laughs>
20: Mr. Goodell, if I'm not too impudent, how old are you? Fifty-three. And you're a newlywed,
30: huh? Eh? That's right. <laughs>
20: Took you a long time to find a preacher, didn't it? <laughs> didn't find a preacher. who was a judge. <laughs> were well, you up on a traffic rack?
3: <laughs> and
20: how old are you, Mrs. Goodell? I'm afraid. Well, you don't look at me. And, I uh. be
3: honest.
20: Well, you don't have to be honest with me, huh?
3: <laughs>
20: I won't be honest with you, and I.
3: <laughs> how
20: long ago was this not tied?
3: Four Bye. days. Four,
20: four days ago. Was the knot tied good and uh, tight? Uh, I hope so.
31: I think so. Mm-hmm.
20: Maybe it's too tight the way he looks right now. <laughs> Maybe stopping his <your> circulation. <laughs> who, who attended the wedding, Frank? Oh, the judge and the court clerk. Where, where were you out? Bowling? <laughs>
3: What do you do for a living,
20: Frank? I'm an attendant at the Brentwood Hospital. Mrs. Goodelli, are you working?
3: I work there,
20: too. Oh, you both work
3: there.
20: Uh, and you met her in the hospital. How did it, How did it happen, then? Uh? Oh, I, I just bumped into her somewhere <laughs> around there on the ground. <laughs> you bumped into her on the ground? Uh,
3: Mr.
20: <laughs> are you crawling along on... The... Can you fill in the uh-huh. details of the, of the first meeting? And Mrs. Goodell must have impressed you, I imagine.
31: Well, he isn't uh, altogether right.
20: About anything?
31: Well, about <laughs> our meeting. Oh. <laughs> because it happened... I thought you were going
20: to say he wasn't altogether and let it go.
31: <laughs> no, I just, I just mean that uh, that isn't altogether the way it happened. A mutual uh, friend of ours, a lady, came to me and said to me, uh, I want you to meet a friend of mine
20: who was crawling along in the ground? <laughs>
3: <laughs> she
31: didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she, she said, um, uh, I want to bring him over to your house. And as I go, I'll say, Frank, get her telephone number.
3: And, of oh. course,
31: if he's doing a two times, he'll try it on please. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh.
3: So, all right, I wrote the letter
31: uh, uh, no, cafe for him. And then from there, we waited for things to happen.
20: What did you say when you proposed to Mrs. Goodell? I just said, let's get married.
3: <laughs>
20: did he tell the truth, uh, Mrs. Goodell?
31: Well, no, it didn't happen quite like that. <laughs>
20: <laughs> Your two stories don't uh, exactly jive, Frank. Oh, uh, well, I, I get all twisted up, you know. Yeah. I mean, when she gets you home, she'll unravel you. I think. <laughs> Well, in spite of my being so nosy, I hope the wedding bells aren't as cracked as I am, Frank. uh, We want you to have some perfect Christmas gifts from our sponsor.
1: For Mrs. Goodell, a gift any bride will enjoy, this lovely engraved dresser set by Elgin American.
31: That is beautiful.
1: And what have you got for Frankie boy here, huh? (laughs) And Mr. Goodell, for your ideal Christmas gift, Elgin American's hand-engraved sterling silver cigarette case that holds 20 regular or 16 king-size cigarettes. Well, Frank, let's get
20: back to your marriage, shall we? Sure, okay. You don't have to be so enthusiastic about that. (laughs) Now, after the honeymoon, did you carry her over the threshold? uh, No, but I'm thinking about it. (laughs) Well, that's good enough, I think. Now, uh, Mrs. Goodell, what particular advantages are there in marrying uh, late in life? I mean, you uh, get companionship.
31: Companionship, yes, indeed.
20: Security.
3: Security.
31: you have anything to add to that, Franklin?
20: Not a thing. Everything she says is right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Have you, haven't you any ideas of your own about why it's nice you got married? Oh, sure. Clean clothes. (laughs) Someone to cook for me and play canasta? Clean
3: clothes,
20: huh? You could have married a laundromat, you know. Someone to play canasta with. Good thing he isn't crazy about football, huh?
3: He might have married
20: Red Grange,
3: huh?
20: Red Grange, that'll give you an idea of the last time I saw a football game.
3: Huh?
20: Now, what's been your biggest thrill, Mrs. Goodell.
31: I think uh, the fact that we are married. When oh, that's, I met that's
3: a story. very sentimental
20: yeah. answer. That's very pretty. Now, what about you, Frank? What's been your most thrilling experience that you can uh, remember? When I
30: shot my first deer. <laughs>
20: You've got more romance in your little fingers
3: <laughs> than you have
20: in, in all the rest of your body. Huh? <laughs> well, it, it's certainly been nice having you here, and, and we want best wishes to both of you, from all of us. In just one minute, you're going to work together as a team for $2,000. But first, I want you to pay attention to this.
31: <laughs> oh, hello? Of course I was asleep. What's oh, it's keeping you awake all night. I know you have to mail it tomorrow to reach her for Christmas. Send the compact set like your Elgin American. Anyone would adore it. All right, so I'm wonderful. Now go to sleep. Good night. Don't lose
18: sleep over your gift list. Use that wonderful idea a matching exquisite Elgin American compact and cigarette case to thrill any woman. Add the matching lighter to impress her even more. These very fashionable sets are great value. Start at just $9.95. $6.95 for Elgin American's Companion American Beauty Set. Come in sterling silver, too. Tomorrow, buy these stunning compact gifts with matching cigarette case, lighter, or both, with the prestige name women prefer. Elgin American.
20: Okay, now see if you'll get a chance at the two thousand dollar question. You're gonna play the Elgin American game, you bet
1: your life. Fennerman, explain the rules. Each of our three couples has twenty dollars. They bet as much of that twenty as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the two thousand dollar question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage,
20: so they don't know what's happening out here. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build you twenty dollars. You selected major cities of the world as your category. Here's your first question. You have twenty dollars. How much are you gonna try? Five. In what country is the city of Leipzig? Poland. Oh, uh... Let, uh... One answer between you now. No, I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's Germany. They now have $15. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. How much of the $15 will you try? Uh, five more. Five more. In what country is the city of Prague? <laughs> yeah, take the Czechoslovakia is right. <laughs>
1: Now they have twenty dollars. All right. Again. Now you're
20: back where you are. Here's your third question. How much of the twenty are you going to risk? Ten
1: dollars.
20: Ten dollars. In what country is the city of Sheffield? England. England is correct. We're on the way now. They have thirty dollars. You've got thirty dollars. How much are you going to try? Ten. Ten dollars. All right. And what country is the city of Warsaw? Poland. Poland is correct. And they wind up with forty dollars. Thanks and good luck for Belgian American Compacts. Now, stick around. You're still in the running for the big question.
1: Well, Groucho, the secret word is still hair. It is. And our next couple may say it. They've been in a waiting room off stage, and here they come. A postal clerk and a housewife selected by our studio audience just before we went on the air. Mrs. Carrie Wolfe and Mr. Jack Nelson meet Groucho Marx.
20: Welcome to your bet your life. And if one of you says the secret word, he wins the 16-millimeter Apollo Sound movie projector instantly. It's a common word, something you always have with you. Mr. Jack Nelson, how are you? Jack Nelson, I, I knew you were the postal clerk. You had that baggy look about you. Right? <laughs> where are you from, Jack? I was born in Mississippi. Uh-huh. And uh, what zone number?
6: <laughs> well, they didn't have zone in those days.
20: Uh-huh. Mrs. Uh, Carrie Wolf, yes, where, where are you from, Carrie?
6: I'm
35: from St. Louis, Missouri. About ten minutes' ride from the river on the
3: streetcar. Oh. <laughs> Any
20: particular river? Or...
3: The Mississippi. Oh, the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah.
20: what does your husband do, Carrie?
35: He's a chemical salesman.
20: Chemical salesman?
35: Yes. What kind was. of a
20: salesman is that?
35: Huh? Oh, he sells all kinds of chemicals.
20: Well, then I guess he's a chemical salesman. Huh?
3: <laughs>
20: how'd, how'd you meet him?
35: Well, I met him on a picnic. And uh, he had, he said if I had a bathing suit I'd go in swimming. So I told him I'd
36: loan him no,
3: mine. On.
35: He weighed 120 pounds and I weighed
3: 204.
36: So. Uh, and what did you? What were you
20: wearing?
35: I didn't go in the water. I didn't want to get my hair wet. <laughs>
20: Well, Mrs. Wolf, you said hair, and that's the
1: secret word. George, tell her what she wins. A 16-millimeter Apollo sound movie projector. Now, yes. Mrs. Wolf, you can show regular Hollywood sound movies or movies you take yourself. It sells for $129.50. Uh,
20: Jack, tell me, who, who do you work for? Insufficient posters?
6: The United States Post Office.
20: Uh, you work for the post office, but who's your boss?
6: Well, Postmaster General.
20: Don't be so sure, you
3: know. The
20: way things are going in Washington these days, you'll have to find your boss as the Postmaster Admiral.
3: <laughs>
18: so what do you
20: do as a
6: postal clerk? Well, I sell money orders, I work in the register section, and sort mail. Sort mail.
20: Tell me, do you run across some uh, pretty interesting uh, confidential letters?
6: <laughs> oh, I never read letters.
20: Well, then I'll never waste my time writing you a letter. <laughs> Are there any new postal regulations we should know about this year?
6: Yes, there's one important one. Yeah, what's that? Well, that is to put two cents on all unsealed Christmas cards instead of one and a half cents.
20: Mm-hmm. Just put a two-cent stamp on it? Don't you have to put the address on it? <laughs> now, posters do. That's you. Tell me, Mr. Nelson. Maybe you don't read letters, but I'll, I'll bet you read what's on the postal cards, don't you?
6: Well, only the ones addressed to myself. LAUGHTER
20: This baby is on to me. Eh? <laughs> you mean you don't even take a little glance at other people's postal cards? No. Well, how do you know where to deliver them?
3: <laughs> now, tell me, Dead Letters, I presume the, uh,
20: the Christmas season is your busiest time. Do you have any advice for our listeners that will make uh, your work
19: easier?
6: Yes, they could uh, adjust all letters plainly and be sure that all packages are tied securely and mail the letters early. Can you read mail
20: when you hold it up to the light?
6: No. No.
20: <laughs> oh, you've tried it, huh?
3: <laughs>
20: well, it's been interesting having you here, and we want you to have the perfect Christmas gifts from our sponsor. Fenneman? For Mrs. Wolf, Elgin
1: Americans' beautiful simulated pearls. They're the finest pearls made by man. I'm sure oh, you'll
35: they're enjoy they're them. Beautiful,
18: thank you. And for Mr. Nelson. Elgin American's popular cigarette case with today's smart leather-like look. Something to show off. Now let's play you bet your life for
20: $2,000. You run your 20 bucks into more than the other two couples, and you get the chance at the big question later. Fenneman's offstage to remind our listeners how much the first couple won. The newlyweds won $40. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected capitals of states as your category. Is that right? That's right. How much are you going to try? Ten. Ten dollars. All right. What is the capital of Colorado?
6: Denver.
20: Denver is correct.
6: Denver.
20: <laughs> Groucho, they have $30. Don't forget, you're going for $2,000 tonight. How much of the $30 will you try? 5 25 Is that all right with you, Jack?
1: Yes,
3: that's
20: fine. All right. What is the capital of Utah? Salt Lake
1: City.
20: Salt Lake City is correct. <laughs>
1: They're climbing, Groucho. They have $55. And
20: here is your third question. How much of the 55 are you going to try?
3: 52
20: <laughs> What about you, Jack? You've got something to say about this, too, you know? About now? 50 I
3: think. $50? Is that all right with you, Carrie? Yes.
20: All right. Now, what is the capital of South Dakota? Pierre. Pierre is correct.
6: The
1: now they have $105.
20: All right. You've got $105, and here's your last chance to beat the other couple. $105. Now, you're going to bet on... Is that all right yeah. with you, Jack? Yes, that's fine. $105. What is the capital of Arkansas? Little Rock. Little Rock is correct.
18: And they wind up with $210. All right, guys.
20: Thanks, and good luck from Elgin American Compacts. Now, in just one minute, our last couple will play you "Bet your life, and then we know who gets the $2,000 question. But right now, listen. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle for the girls. Oh, what joy
35: it is to get Elgin American's gorgeous pearls.
18: That's a woman's theme song this Christmas. Elgin American's new and fabulous simulated pearls are a joy to receive and wear. Make the most luxurious gifts for the most reasonable price. Pearls have a beauty that's always in fashion. And Elgin American pearls have the beauty never seen before. They're a revelation in quality, luster, clasps. Come distinctively gift boxed, even jewel boxed in metal for her dressing table. Yet all this complete superiority costs just $2 to 20 plus tax. See chokers, ropes, bracelets, earrings, strands for children and teenagers too. Buy them tomorrow for the gift supreme. They're the simulated pearls of all time, the values of all time. Magnificent Elgin American Pearls.
20: Now then, we soon know who's going to earn the most money and get the chance at the $2,000 question. George, who's leading so far?
18: The postal clerk and the housewife with $210. And the secret word is still here. Our final couple is coming in from their waiting room. Perhaps they'll say the secret word. We invited some physical instructors to the show tonight, and
1: just before we went on the air, the studio audience selected Mr. Karis Kern and a high school boy, Jules Kirker, to be his partner. Gentlemen, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome,
20: Giants, to the Elgin American <laughs> And if one of you says the secret word, he wins a sixteen millimeter movie projector instantly. It's a common word, something you always have with you. So you're a physical wreck, no, a physical instructor. <laughs> yes. Physical instructor, huh? Yes.
3: Yeah.
20: Where are you from, uh, Karis? Uh, Cold Colorado. Is that near Hot Fats? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, cold Fats? <laughs> That's right. I think they changed the name, though. Well, I should think they would. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you from, Shrimp? Uh, uh,
34: I Julius, was... huh? Yeah. You can call me Jules.
20: Well, that'll be fun,
34: huh?
20: <laughs> call me Jules, too, huh?
34: <laughs>
20: Wait, where are you from? Uh...
34: I was born in the Kelly, United States, Brooklyn.
3: <laughs>
20: Not since the World Series, old boy.
3: Do
20: <laughs> you have any children at home, uh...
34: No, I'm only fifteen.
20: You have fifteen children at home,
34: huh? No, I'm only fifteen years old.
20: Well, answer the question do you have any
34: children at home? Huh? Uh I have two sisters and a brother.
20: Well, that's a nice size family. Huh? How long have you been married?
34: Uh... I'm not married.
20: Well, how'd you meet your wife? Once I fasten on to something, there's no living. (laughs) how do you meet your wife, Julius?
34: Well, I haven't got a wife.
20: Oh, a bachelor, eh? (laughs) You live all alone?
34: No, I live with my family.
20: Now we're getting someplace. (laughs) Why didn't you say so? (laughs) How big is your family?
34: Well, I have two sisters, a brother, my mother, and father, and myself.
20: You're evading the question. How big is your father? My
34: My father's not so tall, but I have a brother taller than you.
20: Don't forget I'm sitting down. uh, (laughs) And I'm wearing glasses. Uh, Mr. Karen, who are you? I'm a
3: physical director. Well,
20: you're threatening me, too. Huh?
3: <laughs>
20: Where do you do your physical instructing? At the uh, Marcy House of Health. Oh. I thought Marcy was in the cold, cold ground. Huh?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, wh-
20: what do you do in this abattoir?
9: Huh? Uh, Slaughterhouse. We... <laughs> we add years to your life and
20: life to your years. <laughs> Did you just make that up? Uh...
9: No, that's our motto. Oh.
20: Now, tell me, your body and soul, what are some good exercise people can do at home?
9: One of the best is open the window and stand it and take several deep breaths. Well,
20: no, that wouldn't be any good for me. I haven't got strength enough to open the window, huh?
3: <laughs>
20: How's your wife, Julius? <laughs> I've
34: got a wife. She left you, eh?
20: Well, you've still got your family, huh? You tell your father he doesn't scare me a bit. You know. Are you working, Julia? Uh,
34: sometimes I work down at my dad's store. What kind uh, of a store? He has a grocery store down what? at Bray and Adams.
20: Uh-huh. What's the name of?
34: The Bray Food Center. <laughs>
3: you ever
20: hook any stuff down there?
34: Well, what I do for him is, uh, sometimes when he's busy, I stock and I answer the telephone. Sometimes.
20: What kind of phone calls do you get there?
34: People having orders.
20: Like what? What do they order?
34: Food. <laughs> well,
20: I didn't think they ordered underwear in the grocery store.
34: <laughs>
20: How much dough do you make down there? All depends. Depends if your father's out of the store, you mean? <laughs> What are you saving for?
34: I my college education. Where do you want to go? Undecided. Is that
20: near
3: here? <laughs>
20: you got a, you've got a girl, Julius, huh?
34: Yeah. Slightly. <laughs>
20: Well, she should be slight at that age. What does she like? Could you describe her? Jenny? Well,
34: she wears jet black hair. Sometimes she wears. <laughs>
20: Here we go again. You just said hair, and that's tonight's secret word. George, tell him what he wins.
1: A 16-millimeter Apollo sound movie projector. Now, Julius, you can show regular Hollywood sound movies or movies you take yourself. It sells for $129.50. How's your wife, Julius? (laughs) I
34: haven't got a wife. Oh, you got
20: rid of her, huh? (laughs) Still got your family, I hope. (laughs) Now, we have some wonderful Christmas gifts for both of you, George.
1: For Julius, Elgin American's exclusive heart-shaped compact that's definitely different. It's jeweler's bronze that looks like gold, just the thing for his mother's Christmas present. And for Mr. Kern, this lovely sterling silver compact with 14-karat gold engraving. An Elgin American, of course. His wife... We'll fall in love with it Christmas morning.
20: Now, let's play your bet your life. If you can beat our other two couples in the quiz, you'll get a crack at the $2,000 question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is offstage to remind our listeners.
1: The postal clerk and the housewife are ahead with $210.
20: Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected famous pioneers of science and invention. Is that right?
3: Mm-hmm. Now,
20: uh, how much are you going to bet of your first, on your first question?
3: Ten. Okay. okay.
20: Okay. Who invented the sewing machine?
3: Benjamin Franklin.
20: Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin. No, I'm sorry, it was Elias Howe. H-O-W-E. They don't have ten dollars. Well, you're down to ten dollars. Remember, you're going for two thousand dollars tonight. How much of the ten dollars would you try? Five. Five.
34: Five.
20: Okay. Who discovered the preventer for rabies? Louis Pasteur. Louis Pasteur is right. <laughs> They're climbing back. They have $15. That's right. Louis Pasteur. That's Tony Pasteur's brother, huh? (laughs) Now, here's your third question. You have $15. How much are you going to try? $10. Who invented the
3: wireless?
20: (laughs) One answer between you. Benjamin
9: Franklin.
20: (laughs) No, you're just Benjamin Franklin happy here, that's all. This time, it happened to be Marconi. They now have $5. Well, now you've sunk all the way down to $5. You're getting as low as Julius here, huh? Now you've got $5. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the five are you going to try? Go the works. You're going to shoot the works, huh? Who invented the cotton gin? Oh, uh, Eli, Whitney. Eli, Whitney. Eli Whitney. Eli Whitney is correct.
18: And they wind up with $10. And that means the housewife and the postal clerk with $210 get the chance at the $2,000 question. And now, a word from Myron Wallace. The name Elgin American means the very finest quality, designing, finish, and craftsmanship. The best value. In exquisite compact, gorgeous simulated pearls, magnificent dresser sets, magic action lighters, wondrous lighter cases, distinguished cigarette cases, handsome military sets, Fascinating musical humidors. Your favorite store has a complete assortment of the newest Elgin American styles right now. See them, and for your own proud use, for thrilling prestige gifts. Always buy Elgin American. And here's the winning couple, Groucho, the postal clerk and the housewife.
20: Ready to try for $2,000, eh? Good luck. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you, so talk it over thoroughly. And please, no help from the audience.
3: Ready? The chairman
20: of Europe's Western Union Defense Alliance is a famous British soldier. He wears a beret. For $2,000, what's his name? <laughs> is the answer you two have decided upon?
6: General Montgomery. General Montgomery is right. Huh?
3: That's
20: right. That's right. That's right. You win $2,000. You had the right answer, so you win $2,000 from Belgian American Compacts. What are you going to do with all that money? What are you going to do with it, Mrs. Wolfe? Well,
35: I have a streak of good luck. I always remember charity, and then I have to go under two major operations, and I'll take care of that.
20: Well, that's a very weighty way of spending the money. Huh? <laughs> and while you're thinking of charity, remember charity begins right here. Huh? <laughs> and Mr. Nelson, you old postal clerk, you, what are you going to do with your swag?
6: Well, I'm going to finish my furniture for the house, and I'd like to make a contribution to the Westview Hospital for Negroes.
20: What do you receive? Let's see, you received lovely gifts from Elgin American. You won $2,000 plus $210. You really cleaned up tonight. Congratulations.
1: The Elgin American Show, You'll Bet Your Life, is a John Goodell production. Transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Remember, next week's Big Question pays $1,000. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for You'll Fetch Your Life. Starring Groucho Marx. Presented by the creators of America's most beautiful compact, smartest cigarette cases, magic action lighters, and finest dresser set, Elgin American. Good night, folks. Have you
20: looked at your compact lately? Don't go away now. Bing the Crosby is next, you know.
1: Goldberg brought to you every weekday at this time by the makers of High Test Oxidol. First, though, important news—tremendously important news—for women suffering from wash day sneeze. Now you can have all the benefit of wonderfully sneeze-proof soap without paying any penalty whatsoever in wash day performance or results. Today's Oxidol, amazingly sneeze-proof, amazingly free of sneezy soap dust. No soap of its type can beat it. But and this. Important. Oxidol is made to prevent sneezy soap dust without coarsening the soap, without slowing up the speed of sudsing, and with no lessening of that famous slight washing power and safety which made it the choice of millions of women. Remember that when you buy laundry soap again. Today's Oxidol is marvelously free of sneezing soap dust without the slightest loss in washing performance. So, if you get all the hay feverish and red-eyed from clouds of irritating soap dust, switch to high-test Oxidol now. It's unsurpassed for being sneeze-free, plus fast and safe, plus an amazing ability to get white things shades whiter. Why, we hear from women everywhere, singing in the praises of today's high-test oxidol, Not only from experienced housewives, but from a group of leading washing machine manufacturers, too. The makers of the new, famous 1941 Apex Speedliner washer, for instance, far and away one of the largest and most important washer makers in the entire country. They're so impressed with Oxidol's performance, they're now officially recommending it for use in their Apex washers. You see, they've had proof that Oxidol washes clothes as much as 9 to 11 centimeter shades whiter than many other popular soaps. And on top of this magnificent whiteness, it's safe for washable colors. And naturally, they don't want their Apex customers to miss out on Oxidol. Yes, and washer owners, to see this marvelous Oxidol the famous Apex people are recommending at work Stop at your nearest Apex dealer today for a demonstration of it in the latest Apex Speedliner watches. No cost or obligation, no man. And a thrilling preview of the brilliant performance Oxidol can give you every week. And now, the Goldbergs. The Goldbergs are settling down in South Carolina as the guests of the Allisons. Jake's old friend, Mr. Allison, and his daughter, Sylvia, have welcomed the Goldbergs into the bosom of the family into which Sammy is marrying. And there in the Carolina spring in the quiet town, the Goldbergs should be very happy on this very happy occasion in all family life. However, there's one thing that makes Molly a little anxious, and that is that Sammy's out on the road on business for Mr. Allison and isn't expected home yet for days. Molly, of course, is very anxious to see Sammy after all these weeks of separation. And Molly would be terrified if she knew the truth where the Allisons are lying. Sammy's gone, and gone for good, as Sylvia well knows. For Sammy discovered just how false, vicious, and hypocritical Sylvia is, and he left. But Mr. Allison believes what Sylvia told him, that Sammy would return. And so he consented to pretend to the Goldbergs that Sammy was away on business. But meanwhile, his conscience bothers him, and would bother him all the more if he knew that a call had come from Blastonbury for Molly, which Sylvia
14: refused to accept. Why don't people pay a little attention to what I want? Huh? Hello. William? How many times do I have to tell you to see that my office is never without a box of bicarbonate? Well, I don't see it. All right, all right. Who's downstairs in the store? Oh, the Goldbergs. Well, uh, show them around. I'll, I'll be right down. Sylvia, 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 this has to end. I can't go on any longer. How can I go on? Just
11: until tomorrow.
14: Daddy, if you don't hear... I'm sick of all this, Sylvia. I can't stand the strain any longer. It's
11: too much. I know. I know, Daddy, darling. But a call came in, Daddy. To the Goldbergs from Laskin, Daddy.
14: A call? A call from who? I don't
11: know. I didn't
14: ask. Why didn't you? I
11: don't know. The operator said it was a call from Molly Goldberg, and I got frightened. I hung out. Oh,
14: Maybe it's from Sammy. Maybe maybe I don't it... know
11: what to do. I didn't know what to well, do. Well, if you
14: didn't know what to do, why didn't you ask me?
11: <laughs> do you think I should call the operator?
14: Oh, I don't know what you should call. I don't know what I can call. I can't think, Sylvia. So, yeah. This is too much.
11: I can try.
14: Then try.
11: She said call operator 64. All right, then
14: call operator 64, and don't ask me because I can't advise you anymore. This is gone beyond me. I mean, in, I've involved myself too much. How can I permit myself to lie to these people, these good, innocent people, my friends?
11: You did it for me, Daddy. Daddy, I still think Sammy's coming back.
14: Call the operator. Uh, Maybe something happened to Sammy and they heard about it in Lassenberry. How can you tell? Daddy,
11: down, please. Go down. The Goldbergs are in the store.
14: How can oh. I face them now?
11: Hello, Operator, get me Laskinberry, Connecticut. Operator 64. William said my bicarbonate was here. Where,
14: where is it?
11: I locate can't... that call and complete it for me, please. Well, somebody in Laskinberry it was calling Molly Goldberg. Yes. All right. Oh. Can I just come in? Please oh. <laughs> come in. How can I keep this up? It's Goldberg and not the Goldberg. Uh,
14: come in. Come, in. come in. Come in. Well, I was here. You <laughs> have some store. You have some store. Some business. A <laughs>
11: miniature <laughs> maid. Didn't I tell you that, Molly? Yes, and in, indeed. Mr. Bobbles is exactly a miniature maid. Uh-huh. I, I, I can imagine. We were walking around. William, your, your man downstairs, was showing us around all the departments. Sir. Imagine <laughs> her husband with <laughs> all <and laughs> the shoes and his uh-huh. and, and and hats dresses <laughs> and in in, in status and departments for everything but the, the, the elevators. No elevators to go up and down. Many customers, many, many customers. And and uh, Rosalie Dolly, what did you bought already? Oh, <laughs> Rosalie bought the ribbon. ribbon. Oh. <laughs> it was wonderful. It was like I was walking around it was like a playing store. <laughs> well uh sit down. Sit thank down. you very much for that Rosalie dear you. nice yeah. to be how good you dear <laughs> Oh, if your are busy, Mr. Allison... From couldn't... now on, till the wedding, Molly,
14: Allison is going to take himself out from his business?
11: Allison.
14: Ah, what do you think, Jake? Oh, I wonderful.
11: Think
14: when a man has accomplished what you have, and has done as much as you have, raised a wonderful family, built a successful business, then there is nothing and no pleasure he don't owe himself. Thank you, Jake. I mean it. Oh,
11: uh... I'll take it, Daddy, dear. Maybe, Sam. Hello? I have that last very call
14: you. for you. Uh, who is it, oh. Sylvia? Uh,
11: William switched the wrong call. It was for somebody down in the store. <laughs> and, uh, I thought maybe, maybe, maybe it was for Sam. Oh, Sam, he won't call. He writes letters. Oh. You know, he likes to write. And besides, Daddy's a bear when it comes to long distance calls. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> He gave Sammy a certain amount of money and said, Sammy, my boy, you're on your own. This has to take you and bring you back. And let me see how much you can save out of it. That's the way. (laughs) Not like you, Molly. Well, uh... Allison,
14: for what you're doing for Sammy, I'll never stop being grateful. The training, the discipline. Sammy was a boy who needed a hand that could teach him the ways of the world. (laughs) He was always too much of a dreamer. That's was something he inherited from his mother, from you, Molly.
11: <laughs> well, <laughs> his, uh, his family is a dreamer, yes, so but he's a dreamer. Not so bad then the dreams are good dreams. Dreams are uh, one way of making the world a better place to live in. You see what you wish, and then you wish you could have what you see, and, <laughs> and that's how it is. And, uh, <laughs> Well, for me and for my sake, I'm undecided to dream of
14: the <laughs> But for a man who wants to make his way, who has to earn a living for himself and his family, there can be too much dreaming. That things should be out on the road, that you should trust things ascending, Morrison, that makes me very happy. And I hope he's going to be worthy of your confidence. For us.
11: Oh, I'll take it, Daddy. Uh, Daddy, why don't you... Hello? Hello? Blackenberry calling for you. Oh, yes, just a minute. Oh, uh, Danny yeah, it's long distance. Do you want to take it now, or do you want them to call you back? <laughs> I wish your lawyer would stop calling me the wrong time.
14: If it's private, Alison, then i, I Oh, well, you...
11: it's it, it a private call, Miss Allison. I should all right. the all right. Right. There's so much in this store that I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to look at your little sniffer. Nice after all the Miss Allison. This is You don't have to be concerned about us. We will me. be downstairs. And are you coming, Sylvia? Well, I'll be right down, darling. Oh, all right, dear.
14: Don't, don't, don't worry about that. We don't have Sylvia, <laughs> how can you lie tell this you way? Please. I can't stand tell it. I'm it's a lie. Because... I can't
11: stand it, I tell you. Hello? Hello? Who is this? Oh, this is Sylvia Allison. Who is this? This is Martha Wilberforce, Mr. Goldberg's neighbor. Oh. Yes, Martha? Who is Martha? A telegram came from Goldberg this morning. A telegram came from... is the telegram from? It wasn't sent to me. I don't know whether to open it or not. That's why I wanted to speak to Mrs. Goldberg. It might but, be important. What is oh, it, Sylvia? Well, the Goldbergs haven't arrived yet. That's funny. They should be there. Oh, Well, they're, they're probably taking it easy and... Enjoy your trip down. What are
14: you uh, telling her? Why did you say the gold? I wouldn't is out open here? the
11: telegram, Martha.
14: Who's Martha? It's
11: whatever it is, we have to wait till the Goldbergs get here.
14: You're going to so don't open it. What's the, the
11: telegram in an envelope. And send it to me, Air mail, special delivery. Oh, yes. Would yes. you do that, Martha? Yes. Yes, what what are you stirring me, up now? Please, this is so telling you. So Martha, too much. listen to me. You, I'll repeat I'll what I said. Lie. Put it's the telegram one unopened into an envelope yes, I and send it to me, Air mail, special delivery.
1: Is the telegram from Sammy. And what does it say? How long can Sylvia keep the truth about Sammy's disappearance from Molly? And what does she hope to accomplish by it? Now, washer owners, something else you'll notice when you visit your nearest Apex washer dealers this week and watch Oxidol demonstrated in the famous new Apex C-Liner washer. You'll notice how much sud you get with just a little Oxidol. Why, Oxidol gives up to three times the sud of many popular package soaps, cup for cup. Yes, up to three times the suds. And suds that stand up as much as two to three times longer. And remember, you see this marvelous Apex Oxidol demonstration absolutely without cost or obligation. It's simply a courtesy to you from your Apex dealer. A chance to find out firsthand what Oxidol can do for you every week. See how gloriously white it can get your wife in. Note how amazingly sneeze-free it is without any loss in washing performance be sure to listen to the next episode of The Goldbergs. Mr. Allison begins to crack under the strain, and Molly sees that something's wrong. This living story of those lovable Goldbergs is written for you by Gertrude Burr, and brought to you by the makers of the new high-test Oxidol, and this is James Fleming saying goodbye till tomorrow.
16: The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self polishing coats present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, the King's Men, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with this cat below. <laughs> 79 Wistful Vista, right along with the master of the house. As he opens the front gate, we follow close behind. As he runs up the porch steps, so do we. As he opens the front door, we also slip in. And as he kisses his waiting wife, uh, we find Fibber McGee and Molly.
22: Hi, Molly. Hello, dearie. What are you hiding behind your back? Let me see.
36: Oh, nothing much. Just a few flowers. (laughs) Here.
22: Oh, a bouquet of roses. Yeah?
36: Ah,
22: there's so nothing.
36: Oh, it wasn't anything that any red blood. McGee,
22: what have you been up to?
36: Well, what do you mean, Molly? You know very well what
22: I mean, McGee. Huh? When a man brings his wife flowers for no reason, there's a reason.
36: Look, Mrs. McGee, this is an anniversary. Just five years ago today, on the 16th of April, we went on the air for Johnson's Way.
22: Oh, heavenly day! Yeah. <laughs> for the purposes of the script, imagine me forgetting that. <laughs>
36: <laughs> yes, sir, imagine us talking ourselves red in the network every Tuesday night for five years.
22: <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that first broadcast in New York, McGee? Oh, boy, was that terrible. <laughs> and what we overheard one of the NBC vice presidents saying afterwards. What did he say? He said, well, Bill, they just hatched a turkey in Studio H. <laughs> but he says it won't live till Thanksgiving.
36: Ah, uh, well, I knew we could make a go of it. I had faith.
22: Yes, you did.
36: I sure did.
22: It took three options to get you to move out of that tourist camp.
36: <laughs> come in, come in, by all means.
17: <laughs> Hello there, Johnny. Hello, daughter. Telegram for you. Shine here. Oh,
36: thanks, Old Timer. Who's the wire from, McGee? Oh boy, the president of one of the big film companies. Oh. Rodney Goldbugle, head of 19th Century Wolf.
22: <laughs>
36: really? What does it say? Says my staff feels that after five years on radio, you have tremendous box office possibilities. Oh. Stop. Hmm. But I don't think so, and that's that. <laughs> hmm. Signed Goldbugle.
22: Hmm. Wonder he didn't send it collect.
36: He did! What? Hey! Well, freeze my lagoon and call me Sonia.
17: <laughs> that does it, Johnny. That absolutely does it. Freeze my lagoon and call me Sonia. That's going too far.
22: Why, what do you mean, Mr. Oldtimer? Look, daughter, for five years now, rain
17: or shine, fair weather and foul, week in, week out, I've been coming here to listen to your husband's bum jokes just so I could tell him the way I heard it. Hoping and praying that maybe I could improve your sense of humor. But I give up. I'm through. I wash my hands of the whole business.
37: So long, kid. See you next week.
36: Why, that old spindle shank, if he thinks for a minute... To... The way I heard
3: it, one fella says the other fella...
22: would be nice if we thanked the sponsor for our lovely five years of work.
36: Say, that ain't a bad idea, Molly. I'll call him up long distance. Oh, wonderful. Give me the phone. Hello, operator. I want S.C. Johnson and Son, Incorporated, Racine, Wisconsin. Yeah. Oh, the moon
3: shines tonight.
36: Don't protect... Hello, Racine. Oh, is that you, Mert?
3: Oh.
36: <laughs> How's every little thing, Mert? It is, huh? What say, Mert? Your brother? The one that's in the Navy, huh? Oh, lost at sea, huh? Oh,
22: that's terrible.
36: No, it ain't, Molly. They was just trying to teach him the Morse code. He learned A and B all right, but he always got lost at sea. Oh. <laughs> What's Mert? Oh, they're closed up, huh? Oh well, never mind. Racine will probably call us after this show.
22: <laughs> so long, Mert. Say, why don't you write him a letter, McGee?
36: That's a good idea. Where's my pen?
22: Right there in the desk.
36: Nice. Oh, here it. Oh. Now, what's the matter? This pen, it's empty again.
22: It is no such a thing. You just filled it yesterday.
36: Well, I guess it'll be all right if I just shake it, I guess. Uh, Just clogged up on the... Oh. Uh
22: oh Oh, McGee, look what you did. You got a big gob of ink right in the middle of the carpet.
36: Now, how do you suppose that happened? All I done was shake the pen like this and... Uh Whoops! That rat it. There she goes again.
22: All right, dearie, give it one more squirt. We might as well make this work. No, no, no. I didn't mean that.
36: Gee, that's an awful terrible-looking spot, ain't it? Better get some salt and milk quick, Molly.
22: Salt and milk? What's that
36: for? Why, that's the best way to take the spot out. You see, the principle is, Molly, that the salt absorbs the ink, and when it dries, you just brush it away.
22: Oh, then what's the milk for?
36: (laughs) It's to get the salt wet. If it ain't wet, how can it dry?
22: (laughs) Well, I'll try anything. Now, don't monkey with that spot until I get back. I don't
36: want to have to... Ah, dear, come in. Come in.
23: Hi, mister. You want to go fishing, hmm?
36: <laughs> no. No, I don't want to go fishing.
23: Oh, come on. It's fun. I got the net and everything.
36: You... Hey, that ain't a fish net you've got there. That's a hair net. I know it. Well, what kind of fish do you expect to get in a hair net? Herring. <laughs> My sis, don't...
23: Oh, don't you want to go, hmm, don't you? No, I
36: don't you, don't you. Now, now, run along. I'm busy here trying to get an ink spot out of the carpet. How? Milk and salt.
23: Honest? Yeah. How? You just, well,
36: you just spread the salt on the spot and pour milk all over it.
23: Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs>
36: well, don't you believe me?
23: Yeah. <laughs> and the way it works, I suppose the salt makes the ink spot so thirsty, it drinks too much milk and gets the stomach And When it rolls over, you pull the carpet out from under it. <laughs> Of course this is I. <laughs>
16: Is April in your house a month of joy and sunshine, or are you living under gray clouds of the spring house cleaning bugaboo? You know, I've been in some homes where you could just feel that spring house cleaning coming on like the villain in an old-time melodrama. And yet in other homes it doesn't seem to cause much stir. Why? Well, I can give you one good answer. Chances are the housekeeper who takes the annual cleaning job in her stride uses the genuine wax method of housekeeping. She uses genuine Johnson's wax regularly throughout the year to protect her floors, furniture, and woodwork. Also her windowsills, lampshades, refrigerator, leather goods. The coat of Johnson's wax protects these surfaces, keeps them glowing with beauty, makes cleaning infinitely easier because dust, dirt, and smudgy fingerprints can't collect on a smooth waxed surface. The result? The properly waxed home is cleaner all year. Much labor is saved, And spring house cleaning is not a great worry. You can prove this to yourself by using genuine Johnson's Wax regularly in your home.
22: some more salt. Bring it around here. Okay. Heavenly days, the more I do to it, the worse it looks. McGee, I could... I could just spank you for making all this trouble.
36: I I don't blame you, Molly. If we weren't going to have spare ribs for supper, I'd put myself to bed without any. (laughs) I'm... I'm naughty.
22: Oh, no, you're not.
36: I am, too. I'm... I'm I'm bad Boy, look at this room I ain't been in personal contact with so much salt Since I got shot out of that watermelon patch in
22: 1912 (laughs) Pour some more milk over in Mexico there, McGee Mexico? Yeah, south of the border
36: (laughs) Okay There she goes Hey, look, Molly I got an idea Where's there a pair of scissors?
22: What do you want scissors
36: for? Well, the best way to get stains out is to neutralize them, see?
22: Go on. Maybe we're finally getting somewhere.
36: Why, oh, sure. Now, to neutralize the stain, you first got to know what the stain is chemically. Oh. So, the logical thing is to take a sample of the stain to a chemist. You following me?
22: Yes, and if you stop again, I'll run over you. <laughs>
36: Go on. So, I had a sudden inspiration. I'll cut that spot out of the carpet, take it to a good chemist, No, Oh, that'd leave a hole in the carpet, wouldn't
22: it? <laughs> Yes, yes, it would. Even at that, I'm not so sure it isn't a smarter idea than this salt and milk business. Look at it. Take a look at it. This living room's a foot deep in salt.
36: <laughs> what say we bust 50 dozen eggs in here and set fire to the joint? <laughs> Boy, what an omelet.
3: <laughs> would
36: I ever go to... Maybe that's the milkman. I call him up to run over here special. Come in. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington?
32: Oh, come, come, Mr. McGee. Don't be so formal. Hi, <laughs>
22: you seem in wonderful spirits today,
32: Mrs. Uppington Your eyes are just sparkling Oh, that's because I mislaid my glasses someplace <laughs> I uh, Did I leave them here the last time I visited? Well,
36: I don't think so, Uppy. Uh, still, uh, I... Say, I, I like you better without them anyway uh, yes, You do? do? Yeah. Well, what you got, a prism?
22: No <laughs> That's a stigma prism, McGee
32: <laughs> Well, whatever it is, it's most inconvenient without them why, just now the wind blew my hat off, and after I chased it for two blocks, I found I was pursuing Mr. Gildersleeve's bantam rooster. <laughs> well,
22: now we know which came first, the hen or the rooster.
32: <laughs> you know, without my glasses, my eyes are so bad that I actually see a great big black spot in the center of your rug. <laughs>
36: well, uh, that's an ink spot I spilled on the carpet up, eh?
32: Ink spot? Ink spot. Oh, oh, yes, I... Well, but what's all that white foam? Milk and salt, Missus Uppington.
22: Mm-hmm. We oh. had a vague idea that was supposed to take out the
32: ink stain. Yeah. Oh, it does, my dear, it does. it does. Yes, why, that's what we always used back in the days when I worked in the laundry. I mean,
3: <coughs>
32: I mean, that's uh, that's what my maid told me.
3: <laughs>
22: <laughs> ah, Missus Uppington, you certainly ironed that slip out in a hurry. <laughs>
3: <laughs> ah,
36: but don't worry, Uppy. Molly and I don't mind if we mingle with a mango minder.
3: <laughs>
22: <laughs> and it's more to your credit, Abigail, if you wiggled your way up the social ladder on your
32: own hook.
36: <laughs> hook and ladder, upington, She was known as.
32: <laughs> no, now please, Mister McGee. Really, it's it's all very well to joke, but remember, I'm not admitting anything. After all, I came from one of the oldest families in the states. Yes. I saw. yes. My father, the late Titus J. Bigglesworth, was the founder of Bigglesworth's Wet Wash. Oh, oh, my goodness. Oh, oh excuse me. I I just remembered an appointment. Oh, my goodbye.
36: What woman. She sure dresses up fit to kill, don't she, Molly? Yes,
22: she does. At least that coat certainly looked like a shooting jacket. <laughs> but now this isn't getting the ink stain taken out, McGee. Are you sure salt and milk is the best way?
36: Absolutely, and I think it's working, too. You can't see the stain, can you?
22: Can't even see the carpet. <laughs> now, let me think. I believe the stain was over here someplace. Where'd I scrape the salt away.
36: Oh, there it is.
22: Hmm. Look at it. I thought the wet salt was supposed to absorb the stain. Hmm.
36: Maybe we should have used buttermilk. Well, here, let's put on some more salt, anyway. Now,
22: now some more milk. Yeah, some more. That'll I think quick. we better go upstairs and put our bathing suits on, McGee. It's getting pretty deep.
16: <laughs> telegram for Clever McGee and
22: Molly. Here, here, boy. Stay for yarn. Don't track that salt and milk all over. McGee, splash over there and take the telegram. <laughs>
36: Where's the telegram, bud? Well, I'm supposed to sing it to you, Mr. I'll McGee. Okay, my epistolary poliachi. Let's <laughs> <That's> have
3: Why, <laughs> <coughs> oh, sure. <clears throat>
36: Happy anniversary to you. Happy
16: anniversary to you. Happy anniversary, dear Fibber McGee and Molly. Presented by the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Blow Coat, the No-Rubbing, No-Buffing Floor Polish that shines as it dries in 20 minutes and saves hours of housework. Happy anniversary to (laughs) (laughs)
37: you.
36: He could have left off that Chautauqua (laughs) finish.
3: That guy can squeeze
36: himself in more places than a fat lady with a new girdle.
3: (laughs) Now, look,
22: McGee, if we're going on with this milk and salt treatment, we're going to need more milk. We're down to the last seven bottles.
36: Seven bottles? Oh, I think we got enough on there now. All we got to do is let it dry now and then brush it off.
22: Let it dry? This mess won't be dry before Labor Day.
36: I'll I'll answer it, Molly. I'll get
22: it. Oh, Oh. Oh. heavenly
3: day. Oh, Oh dear. Mm. Uh. (laughs) Oh, boy
36: Fell right in the milk If I only had some cornflakes
3: Well,
22: don't lay there Get up out of it and answer the door Okay, okay,
17: okay Ah, good day, my dear And good day uh, The good humor man, isn't
22: it?
17: (laughs) No, it ain't the good humor man, Boomer
22: That isn't a white suit, Mr. Boomer. He fell in the milk.
17: Is that so? Fell in the milk. (laughs) Must be studying to be a human fly. (laughs) But what, may I inquire, is the cause of all this lactic lavishness and the surrealistic salinity?
36: What? Huh? Well, if you must know, Boomer, I spilled some ink on the carpet and were trying to get it out. What a coincidence.
17: I have with me the famous old Boomer recipe for removing stains from carpets. I take it there is a cop under all this waffle batter.
3: Yes, there
22: is. And let's see your stain-removing recipe, Mr. Boomer. We're desperate enough to try anything.
17: Certainly, certainly. Only charge you a small fee for all the service. Now, let me see. Where did I put Grandma Boomer's stain-removing recipe? <laughs> yes, recipe, recipe. Here's a small address book. Call it my lollipop ledger. Sucker <laughs> list, you know. <laughs>
3: Here's a letter from an
17: old cellmate of mine. Getting paroled next week and wants me to meet him outside the gates with a horse and buggy. Poor old Archibald. Has he been in that long? <laughs> There's an advertising circular of the Dodge Station Wagon. Beautiful car, but not for me. All my life I've had the Dodge Station Wagon. <laughs> a passport photo of my brother Burbank. <laughs> Looks like a criminal, doesn't he? Why not? (laughs) Rabbit's foot with a fallen arch. (laughs) Uh Aha, and a sign of spring. A check for a short, bark (laughs) beard. Well, well, imagine that. No recipe. No, for goodness sakes. Hobby would have been too technical for young Lima being here to have handled anyway, my dear.
36: Oh, yeah? I have you know, boomer that I know as much about handy stuff about the house as anybody. Oh, is that so? Yes, that's so. Why, even as a kid, Boomer, I used to spend all my dough for some little gadget to make my mother's work easier. Why buying things for that house used to keep me broke. House broke, McGee. I was (laughs) known as. Broke McGee, the hailin' hardy handyman, heaving and hauling a hunks of heavy hickory to hurl on the hearth to help Hannah. Hannah was the hired housemaid. Happily humming a hay hay and a hay de about it takes a heck of a heap of hokum to make a house a home. Hooping and hollering as a handy hem hemmed a handful of hankies or hammered a handle on a hardwood high boy. Hagging of hucksters about a hat full of honeydews and hitting the hay with these words in my ears. Have I handled this hooey for five long years? <laughs>
16: The king's men sing mad dogs and Englishmen.
37: In tropical times there are certain times of day When all the citizens retire to, to tear, tear their clothes <laughs> off and perspire It's one of those rules that the greatest fools obey Because the sun is much too sultry And one must avoid its sultry violet ray Papa Papalaka Papalaka boo pop a luck a a digger 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 a doo digger a a digger a digger The natives grieve when the white men leave their huts because they're obviously, definitely nuts. Ho, ho, ho! Mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. The Japanese don't care to. The Chinese wouldn't dare to. The Hindus and Argentines sleep firmly from 12 till 1. But Englishmen detest the siesta. In the Philippines, there are lovely screens to protect you from the glare. In the Malay states, they have hats like plates, but the Britishers won't wear. At twelve noon, the natives swoon and know for the work is done. But mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. Mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. The toughest Burmese bandit can never understand it. In Rangoon, the heat of noon is just what the natives shun. They put their scotch all right down and lie down In a jungle town where the sun beats down to the range of man and beast The English garb of the English man only gets a bit more creased In Bengal to move at all is seldom have ever done But mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun Mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun the smallest melee rabbit deplores his stupid habit. In Hong Kong, they strike a gong and fire up a new day gun. To reprimand each inmate who's inlay. In the mangrove swamps For the pythons roam, there's peace from 12 till 2. Even caribous lie around, and snooze, for there's nothing else to do. In Bangkok, the 12 o'clock we'll they foam at the mouth
3: and run. But mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. in the midday sun. in the midday sun. Out in the midday Out in the midday
22: How's it, going, boy? That's great. Uh, how's it coming, Molly? Started to fade yet? No, it hasn't. That spot is getting bigger and blacker by the minute.
36: Well, don't give up, Molly. Keep scrubbing away and it'll come out all right. Say, I see here by the paper that the Cubs opened in... Put that
22: paper down and get to work, (laughs) McGee. Heavenly days, you got us into this milk and salt mess, and you'll help get us out. Okay, okay. I've scrubbed that ink spot till I'm worn out. Between that and the smell of all this milk and salt...
36: (laughs) You mean, confidentially, the ink
22: stays?
36: (laughs) (laughs) Don't you get it, Molly? I ain't
22: funny, McGee.
36: I thought that was pretty apt.
22: No, It was pretty apt to get you down here on your knees with another scrub brush. Okay. Walk over here and take a look at this goo. Okay. Hmm.
36: Am I wrong, or is the color all coming out of the rug?
22: No. For once, you're not wrong, dearie. Mm -hmm. We've absolutely ruined a lovely oriental carpet that set us back (laughs) $27.95.
3: Come
15: in. Oh, good day, Mrs. McGee. Hello, Fibber. I, well, what's this, spill some salt?
36: Yes, Mr. Gildersleeve, and some mint. I got a gob of ink on the carpet, Gildersleeve, and we're trying to take it out by the salt and milk method.
15: Oh, it won't work. What? What you mean it won't work, Gildersleeve? I tried it myself, McGee. It's no good. The best thing for ink stains on the carpet is root beer. Root
9: beer? I never
22: heard of that. What do you do, just pour it on?
15: Oh, no, no. You go out in the backyard and drink it. That takes your mind off the stain, and you come back in, throw a small rug over it, and forget it. <laughs> You're a big help, Throckmorton. Here we are in a jam, and you bust in here with a... Well, p- I didn't spin your darned old ink. Well, who said you did spill it? And if you weren't so ham-handed, you wouldn't always be in a mess like this. Oh, You're too primitive to be trusted with pen and ink anyway. What you need is a chisel and a slab of rock.
3: <laughs>
36: oh, is that so? One more crack like that gilder sleeve, and I'll box your ears. If I can find a big enough box.
15: Now, oh, look here, McGee. None of your impudence. Or my right hand will play my left hand a game of ping-pong with your skull.
3: Oh, yeah?
36: And you can use your beard for a net. I haven't got a beard. Well, you will have by the time you're old enough to tackle me. <laughs> oh, you can't intimidate me, Gildersleeve.
22: Listen, that's, uh, that's intimidating,
15: dearie. <laughs> It is? Yes. Certainly it is, stupid. Intimidate. From the Latin, timido. Timido, timidas, timidas.
22: Smart, Alec.
15: Timidamus, timidatus, timidatus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not too bad to remember from my college days, is it, McGee? Oh, yeah. Your knowledge may be from college, but your Latin's from Manhattan.
3: <laughs>
15: is that so? Why, you little... No, b- no,
3: no,
22: hold it now. Hold it. Wait a minute. This is all beside the point. Well... Look, Mr. Gildersleeve, in your opinion, should we go on with this milk and salt treatment for that ink stain?
15: No. Why not? Well, why should you? The carpet's ruined now. Look at it. Wouldn't dry out for several months anyway. What do you want in your living room, a swamp?
22: Well, I think he's right, McGee. We might as well throw the carpet away.
3: Sure. Well,
36: okay. Can't say we didn't try. Grab a hold of the far end there, Gildersleeve, old pal.
3: <laughs> yeah. We'll
36: roll it up. Well,
3: uh, how about
15: all these uh, milk bottles and all this salt and stuff?
22: Oh, roll them up inside the rug. I'll open the window and you can throw the whole mess out. Go ahead, boys.
15: You ready? Contact. Okay, Gildersleeve, over this way. Here we go. I got it,
22: McGee. Raise it up a little, McGee. There. That's it. Now heave it out.
15: Oh. <laughs>
22: huh. Well, thank you, Mr. Gildersleeve And thank you, McGee, for ruining me carpet with your fine ideas Look at that bare floor Look at it <laughs>
36: I am <laughs> Boy, have we been dumb <laughs> Why didn't I think of it before? <laughs> What's so funny? Won't that floor look beautiful with Johnson's wax on it? <laughs> Heavenly
22: days after five years.
16: (laughs) (laughs) Biber and Molly will be back in just a moment. Did you know that this week has been set aside by the American Humane Association as Be Kind to Animals Week... Well, now any man, woman, or child who has ever looked down into the trusting eyes of his or her cock or spaniel or Scotty doesn't need much persuading on the subject of be kind to animals. Of course, they do get into mischief. They do come tearing across the kitchen floor with muddy feet. But you shouldn't put them in the doghouse for that. There's a much easier, pleasanter remedy. Protect that linoleum with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. And then you'll really be doing three things at once. Protecting and beautifying the floor. Saving yourself hours of work and being kinder to your pets. If you're not already using Glow Coat, you've no idea what a labor saver it really is. Glow Coat is self-polishing. Requires no rubbing or buffing whatsoever. Just apply and let dry. In 20 minutes, your floor is shining with new beauty. Its colors fresh and bright. Buy a can of Johnson Self-Polishing Glow Coat from your dealer tomorrow. <laughs>
22: folks, uh, we want to thank you, our cast, and the makers of Johnson's Wax for these pleasant five years.
36: We especially want to thank a fellow that you don't hear much about, and that's our writer, Don Quinn, who's been with us for ten years. That's right. it has been a great day, and I'm sorry I had to spoil the day by spilling that ink.
22: Oh, that's all right, dearie. If I hadn't worked so hard trying to scrub it off, the excitement of the anniversary would have got me anyway. <laughs> yeah,
36: me too. I'm wore to a frazzle. I'd go right up to bed if I had any brains at all.
22: <laughs> but as it is, uh, let's go to a movie.
3: Huh? Oh. <laughs> Good night.
22: Good night, all.
16: This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Whites and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat, inviting you all to join us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, The Railroad Hour.
38: And here comes the star-studded show train.
1: Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents the great Franz Lehar operetta, The Merry Widow, starring Gordon McRae and his two guests, Dorothy Kirsten and Jack Kirkwood. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and the music is arranged and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight another big musical hit is brought to you,
27: transcribed by the American Railroads. The same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. And now here is our star, Gordon McRae.
1: Thank you Marvin Miller and good evening ladies and gentlemen. May we invite you to Paris tonight, to the Paris of kings and princes, to the Paris of ballrooms and candlelight, vibrant with the music of Franz Lehár, to the Paris of the merry widow. <laughs> glamorous Dorothy Kirsten will be the beautiful and glamorous Mary Widow, Madame Sonia. Jack Kirkwood plays Baron Popoff, and I shall be Prince Danilo, an attaché to the Marsovian Embassy in Paris.
38: Where is Prince Danilo?
1: That's Baron Popoff, the Marsovian ambassador, calling me.
38: Where is Prince Danilo? You see, I'm absolutely indispensable to him. Where is that no-good bomb? You see,
1: I'm indispensable
3: (laughs)
38: Probably wasting his time at that wretched nightclub, Maxime's Messenger, go down to Maxime to see if you can locate Prince Danilo
1: Well, that's where they're going to look for me Maybe that's where I'd better be
38: My native land is called come and work from one to three, though as there isn't much to do, I only come at half past two, diplomacy exhausts a man, and I do all the work I can, but never ever get to bed, until I paint this town quite red, with all my lovely Maxim girls, I give them cash instead of pearls. Oh, my blondes and brunettes say Come out with us tonight and play We dash
23: off to Maxine where fun and frolic beans
38: While all the girls I flatter They laugh and kiss and chatter Lo, lo, do, do, Go Foo Foo It really doesn't matter I kiss the birds at high And when the torch go pop we dance and never stop The ladies smile so sweetly I catch and kiss them neatly Lo Lo Do, do. Why, Prince Danilo, I'm shocked. I must talk to you about affairs of state. Send these girls away. Oh, Baron. Well, that's all, girls. Goodbye. Go, go, clo clo. Shoo, shoo, fruit. Now, what seems to be the trouble, Baron? Prince Danilo, our native land, Marsovia, is in its hour of greatest peril.
1: You mean we're at war? Worse than that, we're broke. Prince, as you may know, the Marslovian government is supported entirely by income taxes from its citizens, but our country is very poor. Last year, there was only one citizen in Marslovia who had any income to tax. Oh, yes, the banker. Uh, Mr. What's-His-Name? Well, there's no matter. He's dead, anyway.
3: But,
38: His
1: widow is here in Paris making googly eyes
38: at Frenchmen. Uh
1: And the Frenchmen are making googly eyes right back? At her and her 20
38: million. Now, if she marries a Frenchman, her fortune will no longer be taxable in Marsovia, and our poor dear native country will be busted. Roger. (laughs) However, if the widow marries a Marsovian citizen... The
1: 20 millions will remain in our dear Marsovia, and everything will be, if you'll pardon the expression, hunky-dory. Well, that pretty well covers the plot. What do you expect me to do? Oh, a little thing. Nothing, really.
38: What? You've got to put something in the pot, boy. <laughs> Marrying the rich widow Is she beautiful? With twenty million dollars Anybody is beautiful <laughs> And she's more merry Than she is a
1: widow Besides she sings like a bird I'd marry her myself But you're married Unfortunately You have no idea How unfortunately I'm married <laughs> Can I meet this merry widow Before I marry her? Oh, of course She's guest of honor at an embassy party tonight. If we hurry back to the embassy at once, perhaps she'll even sing for us.
7: Please, gentlemen, please. One at a time.
38: Ah, uh, there she is. See how the Frenchman throng about her?
7: I'll dance with all of you. The evening's young. Here, write your names on my dance program. But print your names clearly, for I'd like to know at least the names of all the men who proposed to me. I suppose you will all want to propose to me.
1: Oh, good Lord. What's the matter? That's Madame Sonia. I can't propose to her. Why not? Baron, I can't tell you. But there's a very good reason why I shouldn't marry Madame Sonia. There's an even better reason why
37: you should.
3: Very well.
7: If you insist, I will sing for you. It's an old legend from my native land of Marsovia.
3: There are
1: Go and propose to her. This is against my better judgment, Baron. But I'll do it for Marsovia.
11: Oh, it is such a
7: charming city this Paris. Danilo.
1: You remember my name, Madam Sonia.
7: I've tried to forget it.
1: Now, please, Sonia, let's not be harsh.
7: Harsh? After all, you left me waiting at the church. But it wasn't my fault. It was my uncle's. Your uncle thought I wasn't good enough for you. Anyhow, I am rich and a widow with... Everything I want.
6: Do you have love?
7: (laughs) Luckily, I don't believe in love.
6: You believed in mine once.
7: Now, really, Prince Danilo, do you imagine we can pick up where you left me at the church door? Now that I'm worth twenty million, do you think your uncle might approve of me?
1: Please, Sonia, try to forget the past. Waltz with me the way you used to.
7: I'll have to see if your name is on my program.
38: The devil with your program. Come away, away.
7: partner at the end of a wall?
1: If I'm in love with her.
7: Oh, come now, Danilo. You're not in love with me. You're in love with my money. Oh,
1: you think I'm like all these Frenchmen who swarm about you, eh?
7: All men are alike.
1: I'll show you. May I have the next dance?
7: If you wish.
1: Good. I shall auction it off.
7: You wouldn't dare.
1: Gentlemen. Uh, Your attention, please. How many of you would like a dance with the merry Widow?
3: Oh.
1: Have the next dance. Who will pay 10,000 francs for a dance with Madame Sonia? Not a single bid. Well, then, I shall have to dance with her myself.
7: It will be your last dance with me, Danilo. Oh? For I'm marrying a Frenchman.
6: I don't believe it.
7: Tomorrow, I shall be the wife of Monsieur de Jolidin. He has proposed to me, and I've decided to accept him. Well, what do you
38: have to say to that?
1: There's an old Marsovian song that says much more than I could
10: say.
38: There once were two royal children who loved when the world was so young, but never were happy together. It's just as the poet has sung. The prince never told of his passion. For very good reason, no doubt, and so the princess was unhappy, because he would never speak out. And
3: do
7: you suppose I am?
38: That's what the prince said, and now I'm to with the prince and he's in spirit?
7: There, Mary, I'm finished with you. With the prince who departed.
38: And so will I. Where are you going then? Away from embassies and merry widows. Go back to Maxine. I've done with lover's dreams The girls will laugh and greet me They will not trick and cheat me Lo, lo, do, do, ju. ju. Lo, co, mar, go, hoo, hoo. I'm going back to Maxine's I've had enough of you i loves
3: me I'm sure of it now La, 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 la,
7: la
12: we return to the second act of The Merry Widow in just a moment. But first, let's listen to a familiar sound. We've all heard it before, I'm sure. But I wonder how many of us know what it means.
38: Say, that's the signal a locomotive engineer blows when his train is
1: approaching railroad stations, junctions, and railroad crossing.
38: Why, Gordon McRae, go to the head of the class.
1: All right, Marvin. And now I'll ask you a question. I bet you can't tell me how much a locomotive costs. Oh, can't I? The average cost of new
12: locomotives range from slightly less than $100,000 for a switcher to more than
1: one-half million dollars for a four-unit diesel-electric road locomotive. All right, Marvin. Now, of course, you know which form of transportation is the safest. Oh, everybody knows that.
12: It's the railroads. On the basis of the railroad safety record during the past ten
1: years, a person could take an average journey of 100 miles every day for more than 22,000 years in complete safety. Say, Marvin, you certainly do have railroad information at your fingertips. (laughs) Yes, Gordon, I think I can hold my own in any railroad discussion. But uh, I'll admit I have been brushing up lately. And I'm getting my answers right out of the same handy book you're using for the questions. It's the new and revised edition of Quiz on Railroads and Railroading just published by the Association of American Railroads. This colorful quiz book contains the interesting and fascinating story of the railroads. It's crammed with questions and answers and exciting photographs.
12: Just about everything people want to know and should know about their railroads. All our listeners can obtain a copy of this highly informative quiz book without charge by sending their name and address to the Railroad Hour, Transportation Building, Washington 6, D.C., let me repeat that address. Simply write, The Railroad Hour, Transportation Building, Washington 6,
1: D.C.
38: And now, back to The
1: Merry Widow, starring Gordon McRae and his two guests, Dorothy Kirsten and
38: Jack Kirkwood.
1: I might have known I'd find you in this low cabaret. Oh, hello, Baron. You certainly made a mess of things. I trust you with an important mission to marry Madame Sonia and save the Marsovian treasury. And what happens? She's marrying a Frenchman tomorrow. I'm sorry I failed you, Baron. But it's impossible to figure out a woman. Oh, I know, I know. There's something wrong with all of them. <laughs> when a man marries, he gets hooked with one that's either fat, homely, selfish, cruel, or expensive. Unless he waits. And if he waits,
38: he gets hooked with a combination of all of them. For oh, the women, how oh, to win their on, I'm rather dimming, for there is no other way. Winning women, Winning women for the lovers. That's what nobody discovers, not even an Edison. Study her ways as you can, but a woman's too much for a man. It is deeper than diving for pearls. Corping girls, 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 girls. With her fair flaxen hair, eyes of blue. She's a long way to knowing for you. She is dark, or she says she may smile or may frown. Never mind, you will get done, bro. Women, 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 women. women, You may study her ways as you come. But the woman's too much for a man. Women with a deeper than diving for pearls. Women, girls, 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 girls. With her fair flaxen hair, eyes are blue. She's a long way to know she is done, or oh, she's fair. She may smile or may frown. Never mind, you will get done
7: now. A most interesting observation, gentlemen.
38: Mm, Madam Sonia. Well, what brings you to
1: Maxine's?
7: I wonder, Baron Popoff. What you say about the women, does that apply to your wife?
38: My wife? Uh, don't mention her hallowed name. She is the paragon of feminine virtue.
7: You trust her implicitly?
38: She never gives me a moment's worry.
7: Well, start worrying tonight. She just ran off with a Frenchman.
38: What? What Frenchman?
7: Monsieur de Jolidin.
38: Well, he's the Frenchman you're supposed to marry tomorrow.
7: <laughs> oh, I just made that up.
38: If my wife has run off, then
1: I am legally divorced. Well, how's that? Under Section 4 of the Marsovian Married Men's Protective Act.
3: <laughs> if your wife
1: runs off with a Frenchman, you are legally divorced.
7: Divorced? How convenient.
1: And now
38: that I am free, I have the honor, dear lady, to ask you for your hand.
7: In marriage?
38: How else? <laughs> Will you marry me, Madame Sonia?
7: Before I accept, I must tell you one teensy-weensy thing. Mm. If I marry again, I'd lose all of my property.
38: (laughs) (laughs) All your millions?
7: Down to the last mill.
38: Well, maybe I was a little hasty.
1: (laughs) That's no way to put some money in the pot, boy. Is it true you lose all your money if you marry again? Yes. Why then? Well? Can't you guess what I want to say?
7: Why not say it if you want to? I love you. And I love you. I've always loved you.
1: Darling. Now, wait a minute. You're going to marry her without any money? Of course. Hmm. The man's crazy.
7: But you understand. I lose my money because I shall give it all to my new husband.
1: The woman's crazy. (laughs) No, by gosh, they're all right. I'm the one who's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry,
38: Baron. At least the money remains in Marsovia. And the National Treasury is saved.
7: Tell me you love me again, Danilo.
6: But not in words, darling. Let me tell you with our own waltz.
1: Kathy and Jack Kirkwood will be back in just a moment. The Merry Widow with music by Franz Lehar and book and lyrics by Victor Leon, Leo Stein, and Adrian Rose was adapted for the Railroad Hour by Lawrence and Lee. The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this time by the Association of American Railroads. That association has just published a new and revised edition of its interesting informative booklet, Quiz on Railroads and Railroading. To get a copy without charge, just send your name and address to
38: the Railroad Hour, Transportation Building, Washington 6, D.C. That's the Railroad Hour, Transportation Building, Washington 6, D.C.
1: And now, here again are Dorothy Kirsten and Jack Kirkwood.
7: Thank you, Gordon. It was fun singing the Merry Widow with you.
1: Well, it was fun for me, too, Dorothy. Well, it wasn't any fun for me. (laughs) Jack. I just lost $20 million. <laughs>
7: right.
1: Well, cheer up, Jack. We'll get you transferred from the Marsovian Embassy to the Treasury Department. <laughs> ah, That's the way to put some money in the pot, boys. Right.
7: What's on the railroad hour next week, Gordon?
1: Well, we'll be wearing kilties and talking with a Scottish brogue, Dorothy. For we'll be bringing you Brigadoon with Jane Powell and Clark Dennis as guests.
7: We'll be listening. Good night.
1: Good night, Gordon. Good night. Well, it looks as though we're ready to pull out. And so until next week, goodbye. transcribed radio adaptation of The Merry Widow has been based on the original American production as produced by Henry W. Savage. Gordon McRae appeared by arrangement with Warner Brothers, producers of The Hasty Heart, starring Ronald Reagan, Patricia
12: Neal, and Richard Todd. Dorothy Kirsten appeared through the courtesy of Lucky Strike Light Up Time, and Jack
1: Kirkwood by arrangement with the Bob Hope Lever Brothers Program.
12: Our choir is under the direction
38: of Norman Luboff, and our music arranged and conducted by Carmen Dragon. This is Marvin Miller saying goodbye until next week for the Association of American Railroads. And now keep tuned for your Monday night of music on NBC.
1: You're tuned for the stars on NBC. Thank you for
0: listening. We hope you'll return next week for the old-time radio daytime shows. Be sure to listen to our other programs on the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast.